You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff, including 30 minutes that we just recorded right before the show as I was getting some uh, prep stuff done. Harry basically did a show with uh, our guest, and so you can hear all that, so you get all kinds of bonus content. There's going to be... Several hours of bonus content this week that's going to be posted in there. So on a private RSS feed that you get on Patreon. So subscribe now, $5, $10, and you get access to our community, uh, our private community. Uh, very exclusive, very, very fun. Uh, sometimes we go in there and talk about uh, other listeners in the other group. We have one group with 1,400 people, and we have one group that is the, the Patreon subscribers. And sometimes somebody will go in there like today and go, did you see that guy in that post? <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Yeah. So $10 a month, $25, i will send you a poster. $100, you get to come on the show. So, And we want to thank outright Brandon Luke, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, and Craig DaCosta for being $100 a month subscribers. This show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag WALnews or in our Facebook group and our Discord channel. All available at wearelibertarians.com. We are always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. 
Uh, with me on Tuesdays, as always, is Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going good, going good. Uh, finished. I did a massive bunch of tests last week. Got my uh, got a new certification. Got my ITIL certification. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, now I'm going to be working on my CIW website associate uh, uh, certification, which sucks for me because I don't do website design. So I don't know what any of that meant, but I'm uh, glad. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your efforts. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Uh, also here is Paul Copeland. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. Excellent. Nice to have you. You've been a long-time uh, listener, long-time We Are Libertarians friend. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It's been quite a few years. Yeah. So get close to that mic for me. You gotta. You All just, right. You can pull, pull it towards you. I will do that. <laughs> yeah, You're going to have to speak with more energy, too. All right. Yeah. <laughs> So, like I said, Paul's been a, a longtime uh, friend, and he was at Liberty and Chill, mm-hmm. our Friday night get-together where fans of We Are Libertarians get together every Friday night in Indianapolis uh, at Liberty and Chill here in town. And we just get together and talk and chit-chat, mm-hmm. and uh, Paul was there last week, and I said, hey, bring Paul with you, because we're going to talk guns, and I, it, we're going to do a different Tuesday show than normal. It's going to be a little more relaxed, and we're going to talk about all the gun stuff. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, Paul was like, well, I brought money for you. I was like, oh, well, bring him Tuesday with you then, because I, I couldn't be there last Friday. Uh, many of you have sent in emails saying you want to do Liberty and Chill in your area. I've forwarded those on to Harry. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that we've gotten ourselves organized on that, but we've gotten your emails. They're saved. We're going to get back to you. Yeah, we're definitely working on it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So a uh, couple housekeeping things. I want to thank um, not only our Patreon subscribers, so... You know, one of the things that I want to do is travel a lot this year. Uh, I want to. I'm I'm getting ready this weekend to go to Liberty Con at for Students for Liberty in Washington D.C. So I leave out. I just bit my tongue. Leave Friday, come back Sunday. Also, just want you to know that I have a security camera here in the house uh, that will be recording all my stuff. <laughs> so. Uh, so I'll be gone this weekend covering Liberty Con, and uh, very excited to do that. I want to go to Pork Fest. I want to go to the National Libertarian Convention. I also have to go to my brother's wedding in Vegas in May. So I've got a lot of traveling I want to do. Uh, and the Patreon subscribers make that possible. I got invited to Radio Row at this convention, and it was just a no-brainer. And I was able to say yes because of our Patreon subscribers and I want to thank you guys. Also, a special thanks to Christy Avery, Joey Tarner, Nick Economopoulos, and uh, Craig DaCosta for their donations on our pay on our PayPal above and beyond their Patreon donations uh, to help offset the cost. Because I spent a few hundred dollars of materials and you know airline tickets and hotels and all that stuff. So. Uh, very excited. If you're going to be there this weekend, make sure to uh, get in the Facebook group and send me a message on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Let's meet up. Uh, so I'll be around Friday night, nothing to do, and uh, looking forward to meeting everybody this weekend and interviewing some folks. And a lot of uh, next week, we'll be recapping what exactly happens at Liberty Con, some of the interviews that I'm hoping to get with some big Liberty names and just talking to regular libertarians and students and what is libertarianism like for the next generation, I have some hunches, but I'm interested to go and talk to a lot of the general Gen Z and see what they're thinking and uh, seeing some other libertarian folks. So very excited for this coming weekend and looking forward. Make sure you stay tuned to all of our social, uh, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com, and I will be posting a lot 
Uh, so, and hey, if you want to throw in an extra few bucks to help offset the cost, I'd uh, love for you to do that. At the bottom of the page at WeLibertarians.com is the PayPal link. Uh, would be greatly appreciated because it is... It's expensive to go to this stuff, as many of you know, and uh, on top of what it costs to run We Are Libertarians. And so if you get something out of this show, there's 7,000 people that listen to this show, uh, and we're growing by 1,000 a month. That's a lot of people, and we have 100 people that keep the lights on. So if everybody just went and gave a dollar or $5 a month, if you get something out of this show, please contribute because we're able to take that money – and put it into resources. So right now I've got uh, an, a mobile app for Android and Apple that I just haven't deployed yet because I haven't had the cash, the extra cash, to buy the iTunes and the the iTunes and Google gatekeeping fees. Or, or so, so we're 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 always thankful when you share. But if you want to take that next step and really help us grow and do more stuff and cover things in a better way and give you a better perspective about what's happening, then please become a Patreon subscriber at WeAreLibertarians.com. It, it really does help us out a lot, uh, and I, I thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, if you get something out of this and you'd miss it if it were gone, if this show means something to you, then please, a dollar a month, five dollars a month, whatever you can, whatever you, you know, can budget in. Uh, all the all that tax return money, you know, that you're saving, theft return, the theft return that you're getting from the the Trump tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Love, I love to put to- some of that towards growing libertarianism. So we get so many great letters about people who from around the world who are becoming libertarians because of this show, and uh, it, we're we're making a real impact here. So, I mean, if you stop giving, if you stopped giving to the Libertarian National Party. <laughs> in the last year, give it to We Are Libertarians. We're much more effective. Uh, so a lot to talk about tonight. So I want to thank you you guys so much because traveling as press for We Are Libertarians for the first time is a milestone for me and very exciting, and I thank you guys for making it possible. Uh, so we're going to have a, a conversation. I've, I've, I've composed a list of questions that I've seen throughout the gun debate as I've I've watched all of this stuff and had conversations over the last couple podcasts about it. Uh, we didn't do it last Tuesday because Harry and I talked on the phone, and there's still a lot that was so fresh. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of stuff developing, and I just didn't know what I wanted to say yet. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, I still don't know that I know what I want to say around some of this because so much of this is troubling. Um but you know i think i think it was good to kind of wait a week to have a conversation about some of this stuff uh and i i put together a question a group of questions you know we always say hey what take some time after one of these tragedies just take some time before you rush to the, the computer or the phone and start giving your opinion on these national tragedies like your your opinion on guns can wait you know, a day, two days, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good to wait, although none of us ever do that because we, we see an argument and we want to refute it. But if you just give it a second and let some of the facts come out, they come out in a way that shape what we should be talking about. And I've never seen a case. Uh, a, I haven't seen one of these shootings with this much vitriol uh, and this much debate around it. The Vegas shooting didn't really have a lot of gun debate 
I mean, it was like a couple days of your friend posting about gun rights and gun taking away the Second Amendment and all that stuff. But this has just been a two-week slog of of arguments, and it hasn't even really been around about the AR-15 for me. What it's really been about has is just the failure of government to keep people protected. And it's been a <laughs> every single day there is another failure from the law enforcement agencies, federal, state, and local that are just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. As the timeline keeps developing and you're coming out and they're finding out more and more evidence every day, like it's it's still not even like a concrete timeline yet. Right. You know, it's, it's almost been two weeks since the shooting and they still don't have a concrete timeline of this is what happened. You know, like, uh, this is what happened at eight o'clock, nine o'clock and stuff like that. It's still they're still trying to put that together and find out who was on the scene when and when was they in the scene? What did they have while they were there on the scene? What, what evidence did they collect? What things were said? It's still they are still to this day are still trying to get that all piece together. And granted, there's a lot of people involved in this. So that is going to happen. It's an investigation. That's what yeah. happens. And a majority of these investigations, that's why the 9-11 Convention took so long to produce a report, because there's a lot of different people that were involved in that incident. So it takes a while to put this stuff together. Right. Right. Yeah. Even if they're just listing the failures of the local sheriff's department, that's going to take some time to track down all that paperwork. Who said mm-hmm. what to them when mm-hmm. about this guy? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so let me give you some of the facts. I'm pulling a lot of this from the daily wire, which is a conservative website. Uh, the Ben Shapiro show and the daily wire have been excellent on kind of making a consistent case for gun, con- for gun rights advocates uh, and very, concise, succinct, and, and I'll put all these links in, in the uh, show notes. Uh, so just to give you some of the facts, which, you know, here's the thing. Like, it is coming from the Daily Wire, but they're linking to, like, this particular article, the Sun Sentinel. They're kind of showing you what's been going on. Citing sources. Citing sources is a good way to put that, yes. Uh, and, you know, so they bring up in, uh, I guess, in Fort Lauderdale in January of 2017, there was a shooting at the Fort Lauderdale Airport, mm-hmm. and it came came out that where five people died in this, six were wounded, and the Broward County Sheriff's Office later admitted that they failed to seize control and failed to set up a unified command structure. Although it took 90 seconds for sheriff deputies to capture the lone gunman, roughly 90 minutes later, false rumors of gunfire prompted a stampede. Uh, so they didn't have control of the situation then. Mm-hmm. And there weren't any improvements to the Broward County Sheriff's Department at that time. And this is the same sheriff who, although none of us knew it at the time, if you watch the Jake Tapper interview this past uh, weekend where Jake Tapper really grills him and goes after him and he he basically says, you know, my leadership has been amazing. <laughs> um Right, yeah, amazingly ineffective. <laughs> amazingly yes. ineffective. He so he goes in the CNN town hall, and basically calls Dana Lash a murderer mm-hmm. because she supports the NRA, and he's deeply political in this in this entire situation. But then when Jake Tapper asks, "Did you know about the failures of your department to protect the school?" he said, "I, I can't remember," which <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So he's he's really. Uh, garbage so let's kind of jump back to that interview this past sunday where 
Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel described this is from Reason Magazine described his own leadership as amazing, refused to resign from office, and attempted to pin the blame for law enforcement's myriad failures before and after the shootings. Uh, so, when asked whether a more competent sheriff's office could have prevented the horrific tragedy that claimed the lives of 17 people, Israel said, "Ifs." If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, O.J. Simpson would still be in the record books. Wow. Tapper countered it with, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, at this point, we have no reason to believe anyone acted incorrectly or correctly. So this is on the 25th. This is two days ago. This is Monday when this comes out. Which is fair. The investigations are still, still right. going on. So... I just thought that was an incredibly callous thing. Like, could you have done a better job? If ifs and buts were peep, were candy and nuts, O.G. Simpson would still be in the record books. How about I am deeply grieved at the 17 people that lost their lives, and if my police department could have done anything differently, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to fix those problems. We're going to make sure that the next tragedy that happens here, uh, I'm going to make sure that under my leadership, we never lose another. I mean, this Fort Lauderdale shooting, this airport shooting, mm-hmm. clearly they didn't learn anything based on the the articles that we're about to read to you to give you bring you up to speed on the timeline. Well, uh, and it just goes to showcase he's one of those leaders that got the position not through respect or just being from the years. He got it from another position. Right. He wasn't right. a leader that you know got it just because he's been through the ranks and people looked up to him. Right. But most leaders. And most people like, and even like good, like if people's like that good manager that you know, or somebody that just are good people in good leadership, they view every mistake that was done under them as their own their own faults. Something right. that they either didn't give their people working under them the correct resources, the correct training, and they feel that on themselves and wants to correct that. Right. Instead of nope, it's them under me. It is not me. I am awesome. I am perfect. They suck. Right. Which is like, no, that's that's everyone's hateful manager that they've ever had when they were 16 working at like some Burger King or McDonald's. Yeah, no. And I think one of the big problems here is that in a lot of areas, sheriff is a partisan position. Mm-hmm. You are a Republican sheriff. You are a Democrat sheriff. There are plenty of photos with uh, this particular sheriff, Israel, and Hillary Clinton when she was campaigning, you know. Other Democratic leaders, but, you know, you you shouldn't get a law enforcement position based upon the letter next to your name. Yeah. Right. And hopefully he doesn't have any emails. <laughs> Broward, yeah, Broward County is very Democratic. Yeah. Um, so it it comes out that Scott Peterson, the, uh, the school resource officer, is outside and uh, essentially didn't go in. Mm-hmm. And he's been called the coward of Broward County. And he was the uh, he was connected to the sheriff's department and uh, resigned after after it came out that he was there he was armed and he did nothing. Uh, now Scott Peterson, which terrible name yeah. to have, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, he released a statement yesterday, basically saying uh, J- his lawyer Joseph DeRuzio. This is from Sky News. Um, so Trump came out and said off the officers who were there weren't exactly Medal of Honor winners, and then went on to say that Donald Trump, had he been there, mm-hmm. he would have run in even if he had been unarmed to stop this school shooting. Yeah. 
How many how many red blooded men would have said that themselves? Right. That's the other thing. I hated all these people making fun of that comment, but like, no. How many of you guys would have sat there like and yeah, this thing? Most guys say that though. Most guys right. and if they didn't say it out loud in front of a microphone, they're thinking it. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. But you know, would he? Uh, cadet bone spurs wouldn't have run in right for no. sure well <laughs> <laughs> he would have sent a security detail <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah no everybody's a lot braver until there's actual gunfire absolutely yeah. so in a statement uh his lawyer said it was patently untrue that mr peterson failed to meet standards or that he acted with cowardice during the attack which saw 17 people murdered uh he continued let there be no mistake mr peterson wishes that he could have prevented the untimely passing of the 17 victims on that day, and his heart goes out to the families of the victims in their time of need. Uh, he resigned from his post and said the sheriff's account of Mr. Peterson's actions that day was a gross oversimplification. Uh, he, Mr. Peterson and a security officer ran to the scene when they were alerted to the shooting, which was reported as firecrackers being set off near a building, according to the officer's statement. He then heard gunshots, but believed that those gunshots were originating from outside the buildings. The officer took up a tactical position between the two nearby buildings while alerting dispatchers and initiating a code red lockdown. The statement said radio transmissions indicated that there was a gunshot victim in the area of the football field, adding to Mr. Peterson's belief that the shooting was taking place outside. Follows Mr. Trump's comments to governors at the White House, he said, You don't know until you're tested, but I really think I'd have run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. And I think most of the people in this room would have done that. So, perfectly logical explanation from Scott Peterson, the school resource officer. I thought it was outside. My radio transmissions reflected that. I I was unaware. And in, in a school shooting, I mean, you're not going to be able to get it 100% right. I mean, I know I shouldn't defend this guy, but when you hear his Either. explanation, it, it's a valid explanation. Well, considering um, the sheriff is, you know, his explanations are like crap, and it seemed like he was very quick to throw someone underneath him under the bus at a press conference. Right. Um, the other thing with it is that uh, this guy said it, um, going to the press conference, that he had enough time in to resign slash retire. So this guy's obviously is not, you know, he's not some spry twenty five year old, you know, that's been doing sit ups and push ups all day. You know, right. He's a school resource officer, so most of the time he's dealing with what. You know, rowdy kids, suspension kids, or deal, you know, or having to deal with, um, you know, kids that get into fights and have the, you know, set of assault cases there. So he's not, you know, he's not some combat cop out there, you know. And when it comes down to it, if he was outside having to deal with firecrackers because he thought he heard firecrackers going off, right? If they start hearing gunshots, right? How many people would keep walking around with their head walking out like, hey, what's going on over here? Now, granted, most white people probably would, you know, going towards the gunshots, you know. That's right. a funny joke. Laugh at that. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Make with a laugh laugh. Um, but, you know, because it would echo. It would, You couldn't tell this, this situation, especially if there's multiple buildings, there's things right. going on. It would echo. And I don't know about you, but if I heard gunshots, I'm not walking around. I'm dropping behind something solid that I can get my hands Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Right. You know. No, and it definitely depends on the environment. Having not been there myself, I would have to trust his assessment of the acoustics of the environment there it could have been quite easy to be unsure where the shots were coming right. from 
Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And if he would have, tr- uh, uh, I was going to say, like, if, and the thing is, like, okay, let's say he's a school resource officer. Would uh, What type of gun this guy's probably handling? It's the standard, probably, what, Glock 17? Right. Mine's a Glock 22, which I shoot the 40 cal S&W out of my Glock. Mm-hmm. So I've got a bigger bullet than that 9mm that he has, that he's walking around with. Don't you even start with the stopping power myths? I'm not. It's not okay. a stopping power myth. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> okay. So, so you you're familiar with weapons. Uh, so the stopping, yeah, the stopping power myth. Yeah. Stopping power. It's got the stopping power. So gun rights, gun control advocates were arguing that uh, a, a mere Glock, a mere pistol, could not have taken on an AR-15 because of the shooting speed of the bullets. It's not okay. through speed. No, no, it wouldn't be speed. I don't remember what they're what they're, they're, well, yeah, they're I, basically they, 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 they that, did debate speed. It is right, the, that's what I, that's what I read is that it goes you know at the it's I mean obviously a long rifle even I know that a long rifle and an AR-15 the way that they fire they're more aggressive they do more damage that's why they're because uh, how, am I wrong? It depends entirely upon the firearm itself. Uh, okay. The rifle I could have brought today would be a two-two-three which is going to be a much narrower bullet. It's going to be traveling faster, but it has less mass. So when it impacts, it would probably do less damage than the uh, hollow points that he has in his magazine right there. Okay. So yes. is it is it a valid argument that uh, a, a single police officer with a Glock pistol, standard issue police department pistol, going in to, t- to take on somebody with an AR-15 – that they would be at such a disadvantage that it's not even worth trying. No. No. Why? Two reasons. Uh, One, inside of a school building, uh, you guys went to much larger schools than I did, there is not a distance where the difference in bullet velocity is going to make a difference at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And two, in every single mass shooting event that I can think of, off the top of my head, when confronted with an armed bystander or police officer, the shooter ends up taking their own life or laying down and accepting whatever comes to them. Correct. Correct. But yes, he is also correct. Majority of them we, do, do they just stop or like, and it's kind of weird to watch them. Like you find the lively video of them just turning the gun on themselves instantly. Like the right. guy, like there's somebody. I think there's that video of the guy on the mall. He misses three times, shoots over the guy's head, but the guy turns the gun on himself and kills himself. Right, instantly. It, yeah, I hadn't even the, thought of that. It is. The, it was like it was like wow. Right. Uh, so like it goes to that. It's like some of these mass shooters are they, are they just suicide by cop people? But the other thing with it when it comes down. Yeah, he's right because uh, if unless the school, unless you have a long distance, the rifle and the handgun, it's not too much of a difference there. The and when it comes to let's say trying to use like the lockers and stuff for cover, nope, nine millimeter forty SNW probably will go through lockers like it's nothing. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that that sheet metal is a yeah. tenth of an yeah, t- tenth of an inch thick, maybe. Mm-hmm. The only difference he, he, um, he could he could have is like when it comes down to magazine capacity. But this is in the movies, and the guy's not going to stand there in the middle and just ram off a hundred bullets. And you can one up and John woo him while he's re- reloading. That's right. another myth that I freaking hate. Like we've got to limit the the magazine capacity. Why? Because you think someone's going to reload and you're going to walk up there and John woo the gun out of their hands? Heck right. no! You're going to shot in the face. Right. Because like even if you think they're reloading, what if it's a jam? They're just clearing a jam. Once they clear the jam, they're going to start shooting again, and you just got shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
perfectly um, reasonable and valid explanations. Yeah, and when it comes down to it, like with a uh, the he would also have an advantage because the rifle being a long rifle, him peeping around a corner, he'd also have an advantage there for the simple fact that rifle is going to stick out and basically he he would how he's telegraphing the corners. It how and granted, I don't think this guy like unless he plays like tons of Rainbow Six and Call of Duty, right? It's well, you know how he's going to go around the corner. Yeah, even then, you know, video games are not real life, and you're going to behave so differently. Right. Yeah. And he's shaking the gun. The gun is the AR-15 is easy to shoot, but you know, still, it's not. It's. He's not going to. It's not as comfortable and as movable as um, as the Glock. He's the guy with the Glock would probably be easier to take cover, take concealment somewhere, right? Because he has got a smaller weapon. Theoretically, and he the, would he would go in 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 a tactical manner. He would he would not run straight down the middle of the hallway, going, "All right, your weapon against mine, draw." Like right. Yeah, and there the would other be, thing w- there'd be some strategery to it. Yes. Yeah. The other strategery thing to it is that if without being confronted. He's walking around unmolested, so he's not thinking about having to take cover, going through doors. He's not hearing that. The moment he probably heard going back and putting himself in a two-way gun range, right? He would probably stop and just get to cover, like Paul said. Like he would like because he's now is being shot at. Whether those shots are ineffective, you know, he's not going to be able to walk around like he was, right? You know, it's or like. And we don't even know how he's walking out. They haven't released it. We have no video from inside yet, and they haven't released those reports of how he was walking around. So, you know, but, 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 you know, I'm guessing walking around, unless just standing straight up and walking around. All right. So late last week, we learned that uh, the resource officer was outside and did nothing. Now we've heard his explanation. So then we learn on February 23rd, uh, later in the day, that there were three other officers that made no attempt. Now, this is from Reason.com. Uh, when the Coral Springs police officers arrived on the scene, they discovered several officers who had their pistols drawn were behind their vehicles, and not one of them had gone into the school, according to a CNN report. Uh, Coral Springs officers were stunned and upset to discover that no one else in law enforcement had dared to take on the shooter. Uh, this is news. Now, these were Broward County Sheriff's deputies that were outside the school, and then the Coral Springs uh, City Police showed up, and they were dismayed that there were police officers outside and not in the school. This news isn't exactly surprising, given that we what we already knew about the Broward County Sheriff, Scott Israel, where he had suspended two other officers, in addition to Peterson, who had resigned for their conduct during the mass shooting. Perhaps Israel is not directly responsible for his officer's behavior, though there are other questions he should answer about the Broward County's myriad failures in preventing the massacre, which we will bring up in a moment. Now, to their part, let me let me just give their explanation for what happened. It came out today. Mm-hmm. It was uh, leaked by some of those officers. A Parkland first responder claims he was told to stand down during crucial moments following the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, hypothesizing that he could have saved lives if he were allowed inside the building at the time. The man, described as a seasoned emergency medical responder by WSVN Miami News 7, reporter Brian Entwin, who interviewed him Saturday night, asked to remain anonymous in fear for that he might be fired for speaking out. 100% chance, bruh. Uh, <laughs> this guy will absolutely fire you, and I'll explain why. Everything I was trained on mass casualty events says they did the wrong thing. The first responder said, you don't wait for the scene to be cleared. You go in immediately armed, retrieve the victims. You can't leave the victims lying there. The first responder said he was asking officials to go inside the school, but he was but was told not to enter. 
We were asking to go in, asking the scene commander to go in. Why are we all standing around? Why are we not having patients to treat? Why are we not going into the building and retrieving these kids? The response every time was law enforcement did not clear the scene and would not allow the medical personnel to go in. Uh, I would hypothesize I could have saved lives. I can't say for sure, adding I would have risked my life to go in. I was eager to. He was frustrated the entire time he was there. Rapid evacuation of the wounded. All they had to do was drag them out of the building and we could have started medical care. He said, He said though, authorities might have made a decision though they thought was correct at the time. He disagrees. I don't think it was the right one. They should have been more aggressive about getting the victims out. Um, so that is what Brian E-N-T-I-N posted on Twitter on a statement. Uh, now... Laura Ingram on Fox News last night revealed an exclusive that officers were told to stand down because they were not wearing body cameras. Uh, She said uh, Hmm. Broward County Sheriff's deputies were supposedly told to not enter Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School unless they had body cameras on, which they did not have. Ingram also revealed that police lost radio transmissions during the shooting, which also happened at the mass shooting at Fort Lauderdale Airport shooting last year, which was also in Broward County. Uh, So let me recap that in case that didn't make sense. The radio transmissions during the shooting at the school and at the airport shooting that we talked about earlier seemed to go missing. They just deleted the data, essentially. So (laughs) nice. Um, Yeah. Uh, Um, It's awful. Uh, So so possibly things were said that, uh, that aren't supposed to be heard. Or they oh, they legitimately had issues, and they never once corrected them because somebody's cousin, brother, uncle, somebody is doing their tech support, and they screwed it up. Now, or, listen, somebody uh, – I'm going to actually uh, – just because it is Laura Ingram and Fox News, I'm going to play the actual clip from the Laura show last night so you can hear it for yourself because I want you to evaluate the information as it came out of her mouth. This is what we know about it, um, and let's you – know, we're skeptical of all media – but Fox News, for whatever reason, gets as much uh, skepticism, more, if not more, than CNN. Oh, yeah. So let's play this clip from Laura Ingram's show. Uh, hold on while it loads here. Near the Broward County Sheriff's Department are telling us that near the Broward County Sheriff's Department are telling us that the deputies who arrived at the scene of the shooting were told not to enter the school unless their body cameras were turned on. And then we found out that the deputies did not have body cameras, so they did not enter or, or enter the building or engage the shooter. So curiously, police also lost radio communications during the Parkland shooting. And our source claims that radio communication also went dead during the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting in 2017 that uh, he also got a lot of criticism for. So I want to start with you, Representative Fine. Your reaction to this news that the deputies were told not to enter the building without body cams, which they lacked at the time. Your reaction. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Look, the more we learn about this situation, the more obvious it is that Sheriff Israel needs to be needs to resign or be removed immediately. That's why I signed that letter. And that's why the Florida House is moving this week to subpoena all records of Sheriff Israel. And we're going to be subpoenaing and making him come up to Tallahassee to explain himself. What happened is a disgrace. Now, Governor Rick Scott can fire him. He has the authority to fire him, and he has ordered an investigation, as you just heard, 
uh, and he wants to clear everything, get all the information out because he doesn't want to look like it's partisan. Right. Uh, But there is an investigation. Uh, So this report came out today, also from Laura Ingram. Uh, Just a few hours ago, the Ingram Angle received copies of internal emails from a source close to Broward County Sheriff's Office, which has since been confirmed by a second source. It urges all staff members to vigorously support Sheriff Israel, Uh, which (laughs) – okay. Uh, Yeah, so he's he's really something. Um, Yeah, he's a piece of work. Yeah. Now – Not the word I'd choose. Yeah, bless his heart. Um, uh, yeah, but it makes sense if those uh, one if those one cops were coming in from out of out of their districts, um, they probably assumed that someone took chain of command, and so so they didn't want to interact and go inside. Just like if anyone, let's say the Cajun Navy, showed up to go after these guys, right? Um, you know, if they saw someone with a chain of command, you should you know they probably should back off and just wait for it. Um, so. Like I said, you it's you know we'll get to find out more information about that as that comes out if we you know when those records finally get to come out, then with the whole body cam thing it makes you wonder what else has happened in this county that they don't like interacting with people without their body cams on. What yeah. else has happened? Right. Or it's just some other PR or some other like a uh, thing of policy well, that was put into the policy that was it's just it's junk code. Right. Well, the thing is, I don't care about body cameras. It, it, right. It, too, you, yeah. You have lives to save. Yeah. This is an egregious, like following the letter of the policy Mm -hmm. in a crisis like this is how you have more people die. When you fail to, when you're so worried about, oh, well, we need footage of this in case something bad happens. No, there are kids bleeding in that building. Get in there. Right. Yeah. 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 And it it, it goes to show you, like, uh, when it comes, to, uh, cops follow orders. They follow orders. There's the orders they were given, so they follow the orders. Well, in the and not to you know oh, the, the, the cops follow the orders. Well, in a situation like that, when you have a a a, a violent, uh, crazy situation in any event mm-hmm. where you have a a traumatic situation. You've got to be well coordinated, correct? Yeah, that and and so you've got to follow orders. That's why you have a chain of command. Mm-hmm. And so if these officers are being told don't go in, they they're going. Well, there's got to be another reason than body cameras. So let's not go in, right? right? I mean, yeah. but it, but then there's also the that's bullshit. Let's go in, right? And then it's another thing, and that's and that's leaked information. We could find out later that there's other information that they had good report that there's multiple shooting, and they didn't want to send a team of four or five in and get flanked because they think it was just one shooter or two shooters. They don't know. You know, it could be a team of six inside there. Now, granted, that sounds ridiculous, but if that's the report they've got, they don't want to send people in into like a you know a killing field, right? Because that's bad. P- that's one that's bad PR too. You just lost more lives, right? You know, and supplied this the shoes inside with more ammunition and guns. Yeah, uh, someone says a point two two three will go through bulletproof vests. They just wanted to add that to level it. one bulletproof vest. Not if you have the plate. If you have a metal plate, it'll stop it. And for a county of Boward size, I really doubt that they're just using soft uh, vests. Yeah, the so- yeah the soft level one vest. Especially if they're showing up to an active shooter situation, they've taken the time to throw on their plates. Yeah, yeah. Because some cops will have like the plates inside their car, depending on the county. 
Well, now it's making me question it because uh, this is apparently a county that doesn't have body cameras. What else don't they have? Right, yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. He's buying other things. Uh, All right, so I know... Yeah, MRAP. I know that it seems like I'm not killing it on sourcing tonight, but I, I promise you I am because everything that I'm reading to you is backed up. It's all fact. You can look it up. Double check me. Uh, I know libertarians love to fact check. Um, and so this next one, the first people to report this were the Daily Mail. So I want to give them credit for being first because I've now heard the tapes mm-hmm. of what I'm about to read you. Okay. Uh, the It wasn't 39 times that the shooter had been uh, – we'd heard that 39 times mm-hmm. people had called mm-hmm. the local police department mm-hmm. – uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the Broward County Sheriff's Department released a very angry statement about this. Okay. It was 23 times. Get your facts straight. Oh. You're pro- propagating fake news. Now, uh, I listened to The Daily, which is okay. the New York Times podcast, and The Daily for February 2017, uh, for February 27th, 2018, uh, if you're listening far in the future, actually played the tapes of a specific incident – Regarding Nicola, uh, regarding the shooter, <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for uh, keeping me honest here. Uh, I was just literally reading his name, and it almost came out. Uh, the 19-year-old shooter obviously is somebody who was really struggling with a lot of stuff, and he called the police on himself. The shooter actually called 911 to report himself because he was struggling. Uh, so. Th- we read from the Daily Mail. Again, this is all sourced and accurate. I promise you I double-checked it because it is the Daily Mail. Yep. Uh, I, I I hate that game where, like, this is from Fox News. I don't believe it. Well, it's not, like, examine the piece of content itself and decide if that piece of information is overtly biased, if the facts are wrong, if there's misstatements, like – be use your critical thinking like don't just throw stuff out because of the source so anyways the 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 reason i'm reading this article is because it has the best recap of everything that happened so i'm trying to get you the best information so uh the the 19 year old shooter called authorities just after thanksgiving saying he had been in a fight and was struggling with the death of his mother the thing is i lost my mother a couple weeks ago so like i'm dealing with a bunch of things right now he told police On January 5th, just a month before the shooting, a woman who knew Cruz called the FBI tip line and said, I know he is going to explode. She said her biggest fear was that he might resort to entering a school and just start, quote, shooting up the place. Forty days later, Cruz opened, or sorry, he opened fire at, it's in the article, I didn't self-edit, opened fire at uh, the high school in Parkland, Florida, killing 17 people, injuring 14 others, five with life-threatening injuries. Three months before the deadly shooting, a friend dialed 911 concerned about the shooter and his weapons. I need someone here because I'm afraid he comes back and he has a lot of weapons, the friend said. Turns out that friend, uh, the New York Times reported, was his the person that took him in. So his mother died uh, around Thanksgiving, and then a, a family friend took him in, and there was a, a, a son about his age – living in the household, and they got into a fight one day over 
like something something completely silly, like eggs that were cooked wrong or whatever. Yeah. And he went ballistic and he stormed out and said, I'm going to buy another gun and went down to Dick's Sporting Goods and they were afraid that he was going to come back. And so they called 911 and said, we've got this situation here. Um, uh, he's going to buy a gun. All he talks about is uh, is weapons. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Cruz called in him. Sorry, that's when the shooter called in and said, "I'm struggling." And the police officers, because of dispatch, had connected the the dots here. Got everybody involved. They met the shooter and the son and the mother at a park. Had a conversation. Everything seemed fine. Now here's the thing: as the New York Times Daily Podcast points out there wasn't anything that the police could have done in this situation. He he was a depressed teenager. He couldn't they couldn't arrest him on any crime. He had the guns legally. They couldn't have I mean really just kind of think about it. I know we want to go well we need somebody to blame for this. Right. We blame the shooter, but if you rewind the tape back to this period of time and you're the police officer and all the context that you have is just the information that you have these two 911 calls, they're written out on your computer, and you have a conversation with the shooter and these people, they hug it out, you know, the kid seems a little odd, but there's nothing you could, like your job is spent around the oddest 10% of the population, and so you're on to the next call. So... These these 23 different contacts with the shooter, in every case, the police officers, are their job is not to sit there and diagnose his mental illness. Their job is to make sure that peace is kept in that immediate moment. And if there is a law being broken, there never was a law being broken. He was, he was just, you know, odd or violent in that moment or, you know, the, the, those dots were never connected. Like the Instagram that he had where he was killing cats wasn't a relevant piece of information that the police officers had in that moment. And so we look back and we see all the evidence laid out and we look at this pattern and we go, this was so clear. Why didn't everybody see it? Well, it's harder when you have these disparate agencies. And we're going to talk about some of those agencies as we go through this article giving um, you more information. So on November 29th, family friend... Uh, Roxanne, who was looking after the shooter after his mother died in early November, told the dispatcher that Cruz already had about eight guns that he kept at a friend's house. Uh, In the voice recording, he can be heard telling police all he cares about is his guns. In another call to police, she said it's not the first time he put a gun on somebody's head. She also said that he did that once to his mother. Did you have something? Oh, you were just fidgeting that, that, that's not a law that's brandishing a weapon that's threatening someone's Ab- life absolutely so, so right there that is the line right you, you brandish a weapon without a good purpose and that is assault yeah and it's into the family member that's a domestic violence so what the mother goes i don't want to press charges so in so many cases nowadays the police don't have that discretion to not press charges. If it were a man and a woman having a fight, there are many laws on the books now in different states, and I don't know about Florida's laws specifically, but, you know, you could be 
arrested yeah. for a domestic violence dispute, which your wife chooses not to press charges, but they have no choice, no recourse, but to take somebody away. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, the, uh, the Duluth um, domestic violence like rule, and they have to arrest somebody. And in the majority of the cases, and you, if you're convicted of a domestic violence case, they, they will take your guns, and they may even take them in the meantime. Right. Or they have the, the ability to. Like, there's that uh, one law here in Indiana that was signed back in 2004, which... I'm not that total of agreements for, but they would have just took that person's guns. Right. Right. Uh, I know from something I don't want to get into uh, that, you know, even if they're not the person who they arrest and cart off guns, they will take guns from the household. And it took a good long time for the person I know to get their guns back in that situation. Mm hmm. Uh, so a few days later, an anonymous caller from Massachusetts told police that the shooter could be a school shooter in the making and that he was collecting guns and knives. Additionally, two years ago, authorities said they received information from the son of one of his neighbors that he planned to shoot up the school on Instagram. Despite multiple signs and calls to police and authorities, the Bureau failed to investigate crews who had a desire to kill people, according to several sources. The FBI also re- received a tip from someone in Mississippi in September about a suspicious comment left on his YouTube channel by a by the shooter's name who professed to uh, be a professional school shooter. They claimed they did not have enough information to determine if school shooter's full name was a real person or a pseudonym, and the Bureau said it could not justify keeping a file on the tip. Um, <laughs> like... Is that a valid is that a valid argument to you guys? No. No, because me neither. The FBI has so many resources to cross reference with right, you know, with local law enforcement. There's no way that he didn't have a file somewhere where they could right. type it into NCIS or whatever the acronym for it is and pull something. There would have been a paper trail somewhere for a Mr school shooter in the making yeah. right or, and it's google google bends over backwards for federal government subpoenas yeah well, they, well they, they wouldn't have to even get a subpoena they could have just wrote an email hey we're worried about this comment right here right you know can you send us information on this person i'm more interested in the details on the instagram where he allegedly planned to show the school so i've got that for you a tipster provided four instagram accounts for him which showed photos of sliced up animals and firearms he had collected Cruz had used money from a life insurance policy after his mother's death to purchase the weaponry. Uh, All you see are guns, they said. Two deputies have been placed on restricted duty uh, in the sheriff's office. Uh, Let's see. Uh, She, the mother, before she died, had called authorities numerous times over the past decade to report him. She had been hit with a plastic hose from a vacuum and once threw her against a wall after she took his Xbox away. He suffered from anger issues as well as ADHD and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, He also allegedly shot a neighbor's chicken with a BB gun, cut himself, and possibly swallowed gasoline in a failed suicide attempt, which is unimaginable. Like, you think about actually drinking bleach or gasoline, oof. Um, more domestic violence, more prop- private property destruction, yeah. animal cruelty, animal right. cruelty. Which yeah, which a huge don't... red flag right there. So let me yeah. put let me push. Yeah. If let... any, if he didn't sh- shoot up this school, he's a serial killer. 
Now let me let me push back, okay? Because I have the Snowden movie poster hanging on my wall. Uh, when it comes to you know privacy and mm-hmm. ending government surveillance, surveillance, I always say that wrong. Surveillance. Uh, n- no one is as much of an advocate as I. So once you get into the business of keeping a file on every teenager that has guns on his Instagram. Don't you? Isn't that a slippery slope towards starting to put a file on people like the three of us because we have a podcast where we talk about this stuff? Well, first of all, that that's really a bad equivalence there because we're not saying guns; we're saying animal cruelty. Right. Th- right. This is like making threats. But when but here's what you have to understand: like you're seeing it in hindsight. You're putting all this stuff together in a neat article. And hearing it on a podcast, and you go, "How did this get missed?" But when you when you see out of these twenty, let, let's say thirty incidents, okay, these thirty contacts with law enforcement, it's a different person each and every time. And they're going, "I've checked on this situation; it looks fine. Move along." I, I don't see how you can check on a situation where he's posting cut up animals on Instagram and say. This looks fine. Everything's fine here. Yeah, that should have created his file immediately. Right. Because the majority of serial killers, they're white middle-aged people and in their kids year and their in their teenage years, they chopped up animals. But isn't that profiling? It's a profile that works though. Yeah. No, we're not This is like you look at serial killers and everyone that has been studied by the FBI like wets the bed. And harms animals. Right, which mm-hmm. he did both. He, it, it's come out that he's wet the bed as well. So, yeah. if I read or heard that somewhere. I, can't, I don't have a source for that, but I have heard that in the right. conversation. that, uh, And the anger issues, the... I mean, this... What is it about your penis that when you're, a, when you're like a mass murderer, it just doesn't work at night and like you pee the bed? Like, I know that's a morose thought, but like, what? I don't know why that's a thing. Like, it's probably... I get psychological more than yeah. humiliation. Yeah. Who knows? You want who to knows? be humiliated, yeah. Not that. Who knows? Uh, I don't know that. Um, I think a sociologist yeah. probably could tell us of that, or it's just some, some type of hang-up or chemical imbalance inside their brain, that, or just something that just makes them so relaxed inside their dreams that they, they don't have bladder control. Right. It's just a weird, like, the, like I hate to say this, but, like, the cutting up of animals, like, you get that from an anger perspective, like, that's a crazy thing to do, but, like, just peeing your bed. It, well, the cutting up of animals and stuff like that—that's a freaking, you know, that's a freaking crime. If he just it, cut, yeah, he's cutting up animals doing like that's a freaking crime. Shut up, Galt. He said he heard that he peed on the bed on a meme. <laughs> it might have been honestly, but uh, yeah, I mean, this kid did have a pattern. But you have to look at how real life works as opposed to the utopian vision of what we want. Do we want a, 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 something disturbing on somebody's social media profile to trigger the government surveilling? Sur, sur, Watching them. Let's go with watching. Well, um, see, then you've got uh, the, the other thing is when you go on the flip side of that is you watch the FBI do other things is they record other things that they think as credible threats and put files on other people. Sure. Or even things that are less than that. You mean I mean like presidential candidates? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I know that he said, you know, they should have been uh, watching school shooters instead of me, but. Which is ridiculous because it's two completely different, you know, groups of officers. It's not like there's five people that work at the FBI, but it does show you like where's the priorities. I mean, that 
And so this is the this is the question that I really want the audience to think about because th- these are the questions that if you were a lawmaker you would be faced with because you have to look at how the system actually works and you have to balance privacy and security if you're a lawmaker. If you're a libertarian, you go, I don't want the government to exist. Well, then from an anarchist perspective, how do you keep people safe? How do you stop school shootings? Uh, well, first of all, we wouldn't have public schools, uh, but, <laughs> it, but you still would have evil existing. And this kid is an evil person. He would still exist in some form. It's not like, you know, Anarchapistan and Kapistan solves the, the ills of an evil heart that wants to just murder people. He would have got McNuke trademarked um, the <laughs> right. moment he would have pulled his gun. Out. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. He would. I would have had to put the quarter into the gun, and then I would have fired at him. Uh, um, but uh, I didn't. Know, I thought. So Paul, I, I, I know Paul I've kind of. I, I know kind of like the, spun the, us off, but that's the, the, the trade-off right. here is when it comes down to it. Right. These mass shooter tops stuff like this. Here's some cold hard logic, which really freaking sucks. Is they're still rare. This is rare. This is a drop in a bucket of any everything that ever happens inside the United States. Right. There seventeen deaths at one time, that's a Saturday in Chicago and that's multiple shootings. Right. You know, that's multiple people. Uh that uh, and there's so many of this Juarez, Mexico, Africa, stuff like that. These are drops in the, you know, they are so mass shootings that that this type of thing is so freaking rare. Right. That one, it's also hard to even come up with a pattern and know who's going to do this. Right. Granted, he kind of to fit the pattern in, in retrospect of a serial killer, but majority of them don't. Majority of gun owners don't go off. People who have AR-15s, they do not go off and shoot like this. So that's so we don't have a pattern there. People say like he had mental issues, but most people who have mental issues do not go off and shoot people. Right. If he was on psychotropics, most people on psychotropics do not go off and shoot people. So that's not a pattern there. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but if you're a libertarian, if you're a listener that you posted like the SSRIs made him do it. Yeah. No, like I'm sorry, you're a jackass. Like yeah. you're just wrong. And the pseudoscience that libertarians seem to be attracted to. I just I don't get why you're into it. I just don't understand why you would think that uh, like there's millions of people in the United States who are on anti-anxiety drugs who are not killing people like Correct. sometimes well, there's just people that are evil. Like, yeah. Instead yeah. of going this person's a messed up evil human being, we got to we got to push this like pseudoscience saying it's the the psychotropic drugs. Like come on. Yeah, it, you make yourself look crazy. It's it's pattern seeking, right? You know, the one thing that the human mind wants is control, mm-hmm, and right. we're seeking a pattern. And SSRIs are sub- prescribed to a lot of these people. Sure, not all of them, and most people that are on SSRIs are not going to do this. Correct. Right, but the sort of person that ends up doing this is highly likely to be the sort of person. Who needs an SSRI? Who, well, not even that, but like heavily medicated. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about yeah. somebody here who is deeply affected, deeply touched, as they used to say well, in our grandparents' generation. Well, the thing is, like, um, a person like that um, wanted to kill somebody. So we, can we, we already know they have a mental issue. That's, you know, that's what either they didn't get treatment for that or their treatment didn't work or it's incorrect treatment. That possibly happened. Sure. Um, As Galt put it, it's a correlation. It's not a causation exactly. necessarily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because uh, those are the scary truth like that. The, in order for to really find a pattern to give su- sufficient evidence to stop this type of thing, the unfortunate of aspect of it, it needs to keep happening and it happened more at a rapid fashion to us to give, be able to get a pattern of enough data. That's sad 
bad. I don't want that to happen. No, I don't want it to happen. I don't, and I wish it would stop. But the only way for you to really put a pattern, if it continues to happen, happens more frequency and happens more often. But it doesn't. Right. It rarely happens. It's a no. rare event. So Galt says that if you're prescribed medication, you should not be allowed to use a firearm. Do you guys agree with that? Heck no. No. Heck no. I don't either. I think if you vape, you probably shouldn't... Um, you know, have a firearm. Well, <laughs> the Venn diagram of people that want to vape and people that want to own firearms is very little overlap. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Sabom, bro. Yeah, I, there and that's there are there are a lot of patterns that that you know, like the wedding, the but, bed thing. Like there, there are yeah. there are the, the but, likelihood that he's medicated. I just I, what I get tired of, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is I get irritated when people. Pick one element and right. make that to be the reason. Yes, messed up meds could make a psychotic person more psychotic. Correct. It absolutely affects your brain. Right. But yeah. is that the only reason that this kid did that? No. No. Yeah. We have to take into the complexities of the situations of these school shooters and go, yes, their psychiatric situation is very relevant to this discussion. Their mental illness is very relevant to this discussion. And how does American law, society, culture, how do we all interact with these kind of people? We don't understand. We don't understand why somebody does this. And my frustration with people who just push gun control is that we never get to have that conversation about why this person what what is it about their mental state that causes these situations because we're so focused on trying to defend our our natural right to own a firearm to protect ourselves instead of instead of focusing on like the mental health aspects like i mean there's there's very little solutions that are talked about in these situations because people are so focused on the one part of why this stuff happens or, you know, it's like if it's not guns, then it's the SSRIs. That's the reason. And it's never just the reason. Like, the world white is not male. so black and white. White male. White male. Yes, we need to end white male. Even though that, that kind of screws over Virginia Tech. Right, yeah. And the D.C. sniper. Right. And um, But anyways, uh, but yeah, the, everyone looks for that one common threat, that one thing. that, And then for some reason, that, and you're right, they like to dwell on it. The other issue with, when it comes to trying to talk to people with this incident or any type of change is one thing with, when you want to talk to a gun control activist, you want to talk about, well, let's talk about the laws that are on the books. I'm willing to discuss new laws, but let's talk what we have that was on the books mm-hmm. and what failed. What, ha- what failed for this event? And that's a conversation majority of them do not want to have. They want to rush to something else. So right. like, no, no, no. We can talk about that. But but the first, we must analyze what we have now. If yeah. we cannot analyze what we have now, well, we don't know, you know, or if we can't identify threats and or or the things that we have to prevent things, then we don't know. Then you're just throwing good at bad. You know, yeah. it's the same way when things break at most companies that. You watch people who like if they like if computer networks go down or if someone's car breaks, they just start throwing parts at it to try just trying to assess. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What failed? Why did it fail? Right. Let's analyze that first. That takes a no, no. no. We, do you know what I'm saying? We'll get a better result if we analyze first what happened, what failed, and the, and if something fell through because it wasn't checked or kept up on. Okay, let's patch that too. Now, can we add on other things too to prevent other things? If you're heck yes, but first we need to analyze what we have now. The um, no, oh, sorry, you wanted to read something. 
No, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to finish your point, and then oh. I'm, I'm going to val- ver- validate what you're saying. Uh, yeah, because uh, when it comes down to it, like when it, uh, people talk about, they want to talk about the AR-15 and the assault weapons ban to bring be bringing out the assault weapons ban. The assault weapons ban it didn't work; it was ineffective. It was ineffective because of the, the just the logical conclusions that would come out from doing a ban. One, the United States government has a rough estimate of how many guns are inside the United States. It's a rough right. estimate. They did a survey, but how many people answer those surveys correctly? I know myself when they and I got a survey like that. I said I had a thousand guns. yeah i mean and so nobody really knows how many right uh, like as i've said like gun confiscation nuts should be called gun confiscation nuts like if they're going to be if they're going to be verbally abusive towards us like at some point you have to go let's stop arguing my rights i'm not going to argue my rights with you anymore because my rights just exist and you're going to have to just deal with that fact because you have the same rights i'm protecting your rights Mm -hmm. even though like here's the cold hard truth democide is a thing google democide d-e-m-o-c-i-d-e it is murder by government Governments killed 266 million people last century. Last century alone. Okay. Some of those were communists or socialists. Well, a large portion of them were communists. And in China was the front runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was 76 million. You had 55 Estimate. million in in the USSR. Estimate. You had, you know, like 76 million and. 55 million make the Holocaust at 12 look like child's play. And in every one of these instances where you've got Pol Pot, where you've got these megalomaniacs, mm-hmm. they disarm the population first, and then the government systematically kills people. Right. And so when you look at the list of democide, the United States isn't even like on the list because there's so many other regimes. And the reason is because we are a country where our government doesn't – our government does kill people. Yes. Uh, absolutely. If you listen to the cost episodes, you understand that. But the the percentage is not seventy six million out of three hundred thirty million. Like it is because we are a well armed society. And if you want to prevent the greatest mass murderer in history called government from murdering more people, then you have to have an armed society. That is the purpose of the Second Amendment. And I have to start. Like I'll talk about speaking with boldness later, but we have to start making that point. And I know that it seems so crazy to some people now, but the idea that you are going to confiscate 360 million guns in this country and not have someone die is fucking insane. You're right. a dumb person if you believe that. If right. you believe that you can confiscate all the guns of America and change the culture, you're dumb. There, it has never worked in any country it's been tried. Australia, a third of the weapons were confiscated, which means two-thirds still exist. All of these school shootings exist in gun-free zones. You have gun-free cities like Chicago where murder rates are the highest. You have, conversely, the murder rate, especially by gun violence, has dropped dramatically over 30 years while the amount of guns has doubled. So you're... Like I'm just watching so much of the conversation around this debate going the left is just they just don't know what they're talking about. Like a pistol can't stop a person with an AR-15. You're dumb. Uh, they're uh, full assault weapons. You're dumb. 
mm-hmm. and AR-15 is the most like I listen to these 17 year old kids that are like the David Hogg kid he's a dumb like he doesn't know what he's talking about he's right. uneducated yeah. No. yeah like as I was at 17 he's not he has he's an authority on living through a tragedy if he was I mean listen well, we have to start saying things that we know people like on their side, they're going to shame us. They're going to blame us. They're going to make us feel guilty about saying it. But they're saying things that are more insane that they're going to confiscate guns, which oh, they're not saying that. No one ever said they're going to confiscate guns. L- stop lying. Literally the next sentence out of their mouths is how they need to confiscate all the guns. Right. So, so right. all right. So you confiscate full automatic full semi-automatic weapons which is the phrase that is being introduced in oh, the yeah. house bills right now yeah uh, my semi-automatic pistol right you you ban long rifles semi-automatic guns okay what's next and then you're gonna go to pistols because that's the next like we know this cycle you're never gonna stop and frankly you're never gonna get our guns so let's start explaining the reason for the second amendment it's not just for self-protection it's for it's for the Second Amendment is about protecting your person, your family, and your community. And when push comes to shove, like in 1776, you have to protect your community from a government run amok. That's why that, – Or that's the Whiskey w- Rebellion? Part of the reason that they w- included you know, uh, three-fifths in the Constitution – sorry, Harry – was that they didn't want to – naturalize slaves because then that would entitle them to own weapons Mm -hmm. because they didn't want armed revolts. So this, you know, 1776 is going to commence again if you try to take our guns. Oh, Uh, he's going to Alex Jones. (laughs) uh, By the way, Alex Jones, one strike away from being removed from YouTube. Um, If if his YouTube channel gets one more strike within the next three months, and if you don't think they're being struck... Left and right right now, you're crazy. He doesn't need YouTube. Uh, those at Sandy Hook, and uh, he said that it was... Uh, so, anyways, yeah. YouTube needs him. So, InfoWars got another strike in their YouTube account for a Florida shooting video. Now, one strike left before they get banned. They have 2.2 million on uh, Facebook. So, they're just dishonest. And so, we need to be more honest uh, and more bold in what we're saying because... They're just saying dumb things, and instead of saying, they're saying dumb things, we need to start saying true things. We need to call out their manipulative, emotional bullying, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we also need to start saying, this is why, this is your right to own a firearm, and I know you have been so brainwashed out of understanding your rights, but I'm going to be the one to educate you. Not only is it firearm, it's the yeah, it's the right to arm yourself, to defend yes. yourself, to arm yourself. That's why right. it says arm, and you know, uh, right to bear arms, not muskets, not cannons. Blacks it's- in the '60s needed firearms in the southern states and in Indiana. People need <laughs> right, but uh, I'm but, saying that's a but, very yeah, specific right. yeah. case. 60, where- yeah, the '60s, the '70s, the '50s, the '40s, the '30s, the '20s. The 20s. <laughs> You know, from 1863 on, you know, and, and b- before that, you know, um, they need needed firearms. You know, um, s- interracial couples in the 70s and some part of the 80s needed firearms to protect themselves from yeah. different people. Um, in the 90s, uh, uh, and it's and it's probably even the uh, the a lot of the LGBTQ, uh, sorry, GLBTQ, 
whatever uh, community needed their um, uh, needed firearms because some people go after them, especially the trans community. People still attack people in the trans community just for who they are and how they walk down the street. Nobody messed with Maya. Maya was armed all the time. Maya was also kind of nuts. Yeah. But Maya was a trans person and nobody was going to mess with Maya because Maya was armed. Yeah, and it's not, and that's and that's def- and have to be, you have the ability to defend your ghost and some other. The other problem is a lot of these like a lot of these gun problem the laws and controls is they also put a thing on almost all weapons. So they disarm a lot of different people for different like non for even non-lethal issues. Uh, just like on that campus, no one there had mace. Right. No one there had mace or a taser. These are non-lethal things that could sit in someone's pocket, but no one had it because no, no, zero tons and all weapons, all weapons, knives, everything. Right. Everything. Which is, which is, and I, uh, all of this illustrates today what you cannot put your safety and security in the hands of law enforcement and government. Right. Yeah. And and if you want to make the argument that you should take our guns and take our right to defend ourselves then you are saying the government will protect you, that we are taking responsibility for protecting you. Do you think that – well, when the when two planes hit the Twin Towers, did anybody go to jail in 9-11 for failing to protect this nation? No. Did anybody in the 2008 crash go to jail for protect for failure to protect the American people from greed and, and ripping us off? No. Is, is Sheriff – Israel going to jail for failing to protect his community? No, because the government, when policing itself, does not ever police itself. It does not ever punish itself, and therefore there are no consequences, and so they have no incentive to do a good job. Secondly, law enforcement is terrible in prevention. Government, in general, is terrible at prevention. And that's why we have to be better at prevention. And I, Ben Shapiro is getting some flack for saying we need to treat our children like our banks and we need to have armed security guarding our children. Even though it failed in this case, in other cases, it's like you guys said, they stop when you're shooting. Like we need to arm teachers. That's like, what do you guys think about arming teachers, by the way? Like, we'll get into that next, but I know you guys are like, I'm saying stuff and you are like biting your lips, Harry. So like we law enforcement can't protect you. They just they they can help, but they're right. They're backup. Law enforcement is not proactive. You know, there are many places where they have tried the proactive approach, but when it comes down to it, they show up after a crime is committed and they either arrest or investigate. Right. And. You know, you can try to be as proactive as you want, but for every cop in Chicago, there's five gang members. They're going to be breaking the law somewhere where the cops aren't. You cannot be proactive enough to prevent everything. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, the other thing about Chicago. I wanted to bring up cool, cool thing about Chicago. Um, the South Side of Chicago um, has a, the least amount of legal gun ownership. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so but I bet they have a very low crime rate on the south oh, yeah. side. An- another stupid thing that gets uh, that gets trotted out is that America is not normal in the in the rest of the developed world. Uh, so let me explain something. Uh, l- let me read these stats from uh, the Crime Prevention Research Center. A guy named John Lott. John Lott is one of the leading gun rights statisticians uh, today, and his 
Crime Prevention Research Center puts out a lot of interesting stats. Very interesting follow on Twitter to get the other side. Uh, so if you watch like an hour and a, hour of CNN, then you have to spend like at least two minutes on John Lott's website. Uh, so, and that's L O T T. Uh, so, a study of global mass shooting incidents from 2009 to 20, 2015 by the CPRC uh, shows the U.S. doesn't lead the world in mass shootings. In fact, it doesn't even make the top 10 when measured by death rate per million population for mass public shootings. Here's the list of the top 18 countries. Uh, and I don't know if I'll read all 18, but Norway's at the top, presumably because of the terrible tragedy where 77 people were killed right. in a mass shooting in 2011. Uh, then there is Serbia. Serbia is number one at 0.38%. Then France, Macedonia, Albania, Slovakia, Switzerland, Finland, Belgium, Czech Republic, the United States at 0.089, Austria, the Netherlands, Canada, England, Germany, Russia, and Italy. So the the argument that we're not normal in the developed world is horse horseshit uh-huh. frankly uh-huh. uh it's trotted out by people who are the 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 council on foreign relations crowd who want us to be like the rest of the world i'm sorry like lithuania and estonia and serbia and finland and austria like your country of two million people your laws don't have any application to a country of 360 million people like it just it's not this idea that we need like we are on the moral equivalency of the Netherlands. Like no, we're not. We're better than the Netherlands. I'm sorry. Like you, you take your two million people and go home. Yeah, they want to be like Netherlands. Want to be like us. Sorry, my jingoism is coming out. Well, the Netherlands wants to be like us. Right. Like the Netherlands could be com- comparable to an upscale neighborhood of New York. Like very white in the Netherlands too, isn't it? Well, you want to bring that into oh, it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And but, they have a really nice border, by the way, border wall. They do actually, but no, like yeah, they just have it. Yeah, you know, you you want to compare the mass shooting rates? That's a much more applicable uh, comparison. But you know, if you look at just the overall gun crime rate, you know, yeah, you're gonna have fewer deaths by gun when they're less available because suicides are impulsive. Yeah, and they are. When you attempt suicide with a gun, you'd really have to mess up to not succeed. Right. Uh, whereas, I'm sure they have the same attempt of suicide rate. I would, within reason, of course. But, you know, if you take make it really hard to get a gun, and the ones that you do have in the country are very hard to get a hold of or not accessible to somebody who's having their impulsive suicide thoughts... Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to choose hanging or they're going to choose prescription overdose or they're going to slit their wrists. And those are much more like I've seen it cited that it is much lower suicide rates when you take guns out. Well, yes, but I don't think the attempt rate is much different. Yeah. And uh, the, with the cooldown period for like those, one of the gun control arguments I like to put out is the cooldown period of having a three day or seven day wait period. The only thing that does stop is that first attempted at suicide. Is if they were thinking those thoughts, wanted to go get a gun, 
having a three to seven day cooldown could possibly stop someone or have someone give someone more time to either find someone that will give them the help that they need. But that only happens once. After that seven day, it's sitting on it's sitting in on their shelf now. So and majority of these active shooter people, mass shooters, most of them had their guns for months. No, no I haven't read one that they went and got it that afternoon and went shooting. So, uh, so I want to go through this list of questions, and we'll kind of get to because there's. It, some answers and some of the points we're bringing up on on some of this, you know, in terms of solutions, and I want to get your opinions on them. Uh, the one of them is raising the age to twenty one to buy guns. So you have to be twenty one to buy a pistol, correct? Uh, no, not, in Indiana, you have to be twenty one to buy a handgun pistol and eighteen to buy a shotgun or a long rifle. Okay. And so they want to make that 21 across the board. So you can you have to be 21 to buy any firearm unless you go in the military and you're 18 then you can shoot a weapon. Uh so it's just silly. So do do what do you guys think about raising because again one of the correlations here is that these are all younger younger men. So if we raise the age, a lot of suicides are young men too. If we raise the age to 21 then that may stop people from getting guns well all right, all right. on that case, but that's still a drop into the bucket of teenage death or just death period right we if we raise the age of driving a car to 21 we 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 can take out tens of thousands of, of, of teenage death right off the books right we can prevent a lot of that so you're no making- one no one wants to talk about bringing that up but the other thing with it if the idea that then Either the 18 is not the arbitrary age that we use to count as an adult. Um, I see it as the particular one as the culture because of the fact that that is when you get through our public education system. Right. Because no one wants to deal with someone with who's an adult with full rights and a public education system. Well, it's, we're- it's, it's annoying. But the but since they have everything active, you can vote, you can do all these things, but you won't have access to all your rights until 21. I think it's crap. Um, right. It's. I think it's. I. I think it's weak sauce ground that you can't get a handgun in twenty uh, at eighteen. Anyways, uh, I believe if you're an adult, you have full consciousness. You can make. You can sign into contracts. You can do everything else. You should be able to get. You know. You should be, have. You should have a handgun. If you should be able to. Uh, you should have the ability to purchase a handgun. Um, waiting till you're twenty one. Waiting three years. You know, that's that's here, no there. You're going to do something. Well, we're schizophrenic about age, you know, 21 to drink, 18 for various rights with like the military. We're 26 on the insurance on your parents. You know, we're there's 16 to drive. Like we're very like there's all these different levels that we've created instead of just saying like at 18, you get your full rights as a citizen. Yeah. You're no, you're no and, longer your parents' property, essentially. Right, and a lot of these age things, like it also, like it skews the different things. It's like, so, like you're 21, you can finally drink. So you've been out of away from your parents, the main people who have raised you and taught you about the world, and now that you're away from for three years, we're going to allow you to drink. Which most people's first type of drink where they can legally drink is at co- is in college. So they're around people who aren't really like the most responsible adults in the world have had that much experience with alcohol, and then when you want to have someone to drink, that's that's it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's why you don't have right. binge drinking in germany you know right. until you're middle age but yeah. like in teenagers right. it's it's just they don't have the drinking problem in europe like we do here yeah which you know compare comparing that to the current topic you know we didn't have this huge mass shooting problem when you know your dad took you out hunting 
at the age of seven. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, and and it's mostly like, and it's all on purchase because you can you can even handle it, which is also it's 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 dumb. It's dumb because there's there's so many other weapons that are out there out in the world. There's so many things you have access to. This is arbitrary. Now the handgun thing is is weak sauce, but it stands on the ground because the simple fact that majority of crime of of gun crime are handguns, not long rifles. Right. Prohibition doesn't work in any situation. Right. Yeah. And Ever. the. Like I think that even if we lowered the uh, age for handgun purchasing to eighteen, the amount of people that would legally purchase a firearm and then turn around and use it in a crime is negligible. Something yeah. along three to five percent of all le- all guns used in crime. <laughs> the people who are going to wait yeah. to buy a gun are not the the ones that are going to commit the crime. Usually, right, like yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you don't go out and commit a crime with a gun you bought legally unless you're mentally insane like these kids are right yeah yeah uh should we lower their age of voting to 16 Ooh, that's a good one you want to well, you want to go i mean if you don't trust them with a bullet why do you trust them with a ballot right i mean the idea that we're going to put policy in the hands of even more impulsive of an age group while at the same time trying to restrict something that is arguably less dangerous uh, in the form of firearms, and I'm probably going to catch a little bit of heat for that, but, you know, policy is a dangerous thing, and I don't I don't trust the 60-year-olds that we have with policy. Why would I trust a 16-year-old? I agree. Get Only the- millennials should be allowed to vote. Yes. And, and certain cool Gen Xers, the cool ones. No, no, no. 1980 to 2000, if you're not born in within those t- years, you're out. A lot of cool Gen Xers. Nope, you're out. And the thing is, if, because if you allow 16-year-olds to vote, this is how you get Paul Paul 2020. And I'm not talking about Ran or Ron. I'm talking about Logan and Jake Paul. Right, yeah. I, this is an, <laughs> Every idi- day, bro. This right. is an idiotic fantasy by the left because they want to expand their voter base. Right, and Jake Paul and Logan Paul, no. Yeah. Every day, <laughs> like, bro. But no, you, you do need those two extra years to start to realize, like, Oh, what I thought like just six months ago, I was a freaking idiot. And, yeah. you know, most of us have that experience constantly throughout the rest of our lives, but at least by the time we're 18, we're second guessing ourselves. I, yeah. I, but the majority of 18 year olds, their first vote they can is for a Democratic ballot, usually. I didn't learn to think critically until college. I mean, it, I just don't think that uh, somebody who is 16 is responsible enough to participate in something, as Paul I'm, says, as serious as public policy uh, mark edge always talked about like um, one thing you could do is make it more diff- difficult to to vote or just to do different things like the idea of the ballot should be blank you should have to write in the person's full correct name that's on the ballot and the race that they're going for abdul this, abdul advocates for the same thing and i i find that which, compelling yeah yeah which is like to me that like, that's awesome because then you don't have someone going in straight ticket and walking out if you're not or, informed enough to spell the person's name correctly then you shouldn't be voting right yeah all you do is fill in these dots and while they walk oh. out the door like thanks thank you that's yeah. where the roads suck right well that's why we don't have sunday beer because you got you you put up a loser who you know made said we don't have sunday cold beer at kroger as long as there's a way to type it in because uh as somebody with rather poor penmanship uh i really if i go to oh, cast a here vote, we go uh, with the voter suppression argument yeah uh, no no sorry like, if your disability 
<laughs> All right. So how much how much responsibility should we turn over to the government to protect us? Zero. They, because they have shown in Supreme Court cases that um, when it has come out there, they have they have no order of responsibility for anybody. It ideally zero. Yeah. yeah, absolutely nothing should be turned over to the government. But you know, if we have buildings such as public schools where we send our young people to be warehoused for eight hours a day, mm-hmm. you know, we we definitely need to do more to provide security there. Well, like, uh, well, we, they, they they put security in schools, the inner city schools where the um, other peoples are, the poor people in the world, right? Where still, you know, where shootings and stuff that that did happen and didn't get the news that much. This is where they treat them like criminals, and they have metal detectors, and they have armed security guard every five feet, something like that, and security cameras everywhere. Yeah, uh, I would say. Uh, as close to zero as possible as well. I think when it comes to something like a school, if you if you make security part of the school and you get rid of this notion that they oh these should be gun free zones, like the that's that makes everybody feel good, but that's not working. That's not logical. There there uh, are no guns when you need guns, and the only people that. Don't bring guns well, to school are the reasonable. Like it's anytime well, you have a gun free zone, it's. It's stupid. There should at least, even if there are no guns in a school, there should right. at least be the illusion that somebody's armed, right? Well, yeah. Well, all right. Do do I think the kids should be walking around? Kids should be walking around with guns in school. Probably not. Should should teachers be walking around with guns on their waist and stuff like that? Probably not. Just like you don't see in most military installations, most of them don't walk around with guns because the the the, the MPs and everything they have guns. They have authorized to use it. The people right. are acting as police and security. They have guns. But if you're just there wrenching on something like that, eh, possibly not. Right. Well, schools are also fire-free zones, but they don't not have fire extinguishers on the walls. Right. You know, right, yeah. We we have a tool that will help prevent these sorts of incidents and we bar it legally from schools. Mhm. If yeah. we tried the same thing with fire extinguishers, well, fires are f- and it's a federal, yeah, it's federal. Yeah. It's a federal block, not a state block. It's a federal block. Right. Well, I do believe uh, I would have to track down the laws, but I believe Utah uh, allows firearms in their schools through state law. Correct. Yeah, you have to open it up. Just like in you know in uh, New Hampshire, you can do that in certain places too, but it's, but it's all in their own districts. All right. So speaking of arming teachers, I read a post by a local libertarian who is a teacher, and he basically said, I don't want to be armed, and I don't want other teachers to be armed because here's the reality of the situation. Student comes in, and uh, you are in a classroom, and they have a weapon. You lock the door. You barricade your kids. Schools are now practicing. Like I have a friend who said that their, their kid was practicing robber drills at school, in elementary school and or middle school, and – he was like robbery. Well, this is in case somebody comes in to rob the school. Oh, okay. That <laughs> you know, and so you've got drills now, uh, and where here's what we do in the event of this situation, and it's hiding. And the teacher was basically saying, "I don't want to be the one to leave my frightened students alone, so I can go out and start hunting." And hold on, so I so I can go out and start hunting. And then end up having to kill a student that I have spent, let's say, a year or a semester with and have bonded with. Now, here's my argument to that teacher. Um, 
you probably didn't bond with the type of individual that becomes a, a school shooter. <laughs> like, if well, anything, you were probably sending him to the principal to pawn him off. But uh, the idea that of arming teachers is not going to be popular with a lot of teachers, although it may be popular with, you know, it's popular or unpopular, right? So what do you guys think about the argument of arming teachers and, like, because arming security guards, treating it like a bank, like uh, Ben Shapiro said, makes total sense. Having security guards, like, there were two security guards here, but there were, obviously, tragedies would happen in that situation. But if you had more people who were armed, then there wouldn't have been that situation because there would have been people in the building who were prepared. Right. Right. So, first of all, I take a little bit of an exception to the scenario as presented. Uh, I don't think anybody wants a teacher who is armed in a school to go out hunting the gunman. Which I don't think that's how it would happen anyway. No, no. The point is that you have somebody armed who is there with your room full of 30 kids, and they're in the back as far away from the doors and windows as possible, hiding. And if somebody enters that room without identifying themselves as somebody that is trustworthy, then you have the ability to take them out before they can harm you or any of those kids. Right. Uh, this this concept that we're going to have roving bands of teachers hunting for a gunman is asinine. Well, his, his other yeah. argument was, you yeah. know, what if there are 10 other teachers that are armed and then we accidentally shoot each other because uh, we mistake them for the school shooter? Okay, <laughs> Which, well... It's amazing how SWAT teams don't manage to blow each other away when they're making entry on a house or other armed police response teams don't end up greasing themselves. They do have accidents, but usually come through communication through radios. Right. Well, a radio for all of the teachers would be a great thing. Yeah, so this Christian school in Texas that uh, Vice covered that I posted the link on the last episode, uh, actually it was the last uh, Thursday episode where we talked, not the Joe Houtman episode, which if you didn't listen to it, you definitely should. I got a lot of great response on that. But they essentially have no, there's several armed teachers. Nobody knows who the armed teachers are except for the armed teachers. They're, uh, They're not concealed carry they're in a desk they're uh they practice drills the students practice drills on how to take somebody down the students practice not just hiding but physically a physical altercation with somebody uh so they can be part of the solution it was really fascinating to see this school which said we're going to take security seriously and here's what we're going to do in an active shooter situation. We're going to get not only are we going to get uh, teachers involved. We're not going to ask students to go hunting, but we're going to teach them self-defense tools, which I thought was a really smart move. Like, let's be honest. You, if you're the mother or father of a high school female, having some self-defense teach like before they go to college probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, so I I liked the the way that they had laid it out and it didn't seem so scary when I saw a school actually have this kind of plan. All right. Well, all right. So that it sounds great and it sounds like it sounds also very expensive. Uh the other thing with it is this could all be changed just by some sort of main entrance and key card controller and f- control physical access inside the building. 
I I, I find it hard ju- to believe that like these a lot of these my school had it in Plainfield. How the heck did this guy get with an AR-15 then? He had an AR-15. That's how. <laughs> like right. Sometimes well, that's they, a yeah. But if the door could physically lock, he had to walk through somewhere, a security checkpoint, stuff right. like that. These things happen. A lot of banks have 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 metal detectors, man traps. You walk one, you walk in door. Other door doesn't open until you know you go through the metal detector. Controlling physical access to the building would stop a lot of all these different um, things. Most kids have, uh, most schools force you to have an ID badge, just like a lot of businesses do. A lot of people understand, a lot of grown adults use their keypads or their badge to scan a chip and open a door. Granted, does tailgating happen? Yeah, but it prevents someone from going from building to building to building. And if, as long as people are security aware to make sure tailgating doesn't happen, hey, that stops someone just from getting in the building, period. Right. Um, the idea of uh, being active able to go into security, that sounds cool to give people confidence, but brushing someone with an AR-15 and you don't have a weapon, you're going to get shot in the face. Right. It's Like I said, it's not a movie. You're not going to baseball slide, you know, hit him with the low knee, you know, hit him with a low knee kick. He's going to drop the gun and you're going to get it from him. No, you're right. going to get shot in the face. And I think that's what a lot of people on the left are doing, too. They're, they're, they're concocting a story mm-hmm. similar to the movies on how – a tactical situation would go down as opposed to operating from a place of knowledge, which is why I really can't stand the whole gun debate because you're arg- you can't argue with idiots. You can't argue with people who don't know what they're talking about, right. people who are willfully ignorant and want to believe in the fantasy of gun confiscation. Yeah. Right. But yeah, And you'd be amazed. What, and like I said, like um, just like the whole like locked door thing, you'd be amazed what a locked door can do. But a lot of these doors don't have locks. And if they do have locks, the teachers do not have keys. Right. You know? So so are you for arming teachers or not? Personal choice on the, in the teacher, I would wish the laws would be removed so that teachers and the school districts could have policies and they can just choose on that uh, choice of their own and allow the marketplace of ideas to be able to choose that. I don't want to be able to choose that. Would I would like my child to go to a school that did have like, teachers were armed? My kids wouldn't go to a public school, a thing like that. So Right. But I know, and that's an easy answer to say. There's an easy answer to say. But if I did have to choose gun to my head, you know, have to send Gunther to a school, I'd probably choose one that some people had, more people had guns at it. Just for the simple fact that I'm not more, you know, going for like after shooter. I am actually in for the robber or just for violent crime happening around in in an area. Yeah. Which is more likely. So David French at the National Review wrote about something that three states have already passed, something called the Gun Violence Restraining Order. And the New York Times covered it again in the Daily Today, calling it a red flag law. Mm-hmm. And essentially what a gun violence restraining order does is a, an immediate family member or a law enforcement person can go to a judge and put a, re, a temporary restraining order on a person's right to own guns. Let's say in this situation, there were plenty of people who, if this tool had been available, obviously the family members around him were concerned enough to go to the courts, go first to the police, then the courts, and say, this person's violent. We need to take a look at this. It would then – because you take that situation we talked about earlier where even he's calling in and saying, like, I'm, I'm really struggling here. The police had absolutely no legal authority to do anything. They couldn't – there was no mental health thing that they could have done. There was no legal thing that they could have done. This would this would carve out an option, a preventative option where you can go and say, my father's suicidal. He's got guns. Take these away for 90 days. 
if it's written in there, so... Now, here's part of the problem. Let me say this, because this is an important point. In the three states that have this, Washington, I think California, maybe some other place. I don't know. Indiana has a lot, just like similar like that. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the defendant, because it's filed in civil court. It's not a criminal motion. It's civil court. It it is The defendant is not allowed to defend themselves. Now, the reason is speed, because they say this is a very quick thing, and if we're going to wait on the – it might tip the person off – like we 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 just can't have the danger of them arguing against this thing. Uh, I don't ever like a defendant in any court not being able to defend themselves, but I also do see the wisdom behind that part of the law. Uh, and I know that we're against passing laws, but to me, this seems kind of like a common sense thing. It is temporary. I absolutely see how this could be abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, let's say somebody comes in this podcast, they say something, it concerns a family member who's crazy uh, and has it out for that family member. Then mm-hmm. they, they go to the court. I absolutely see how this could be used against, uh, used improperly. Yeah. But in the case of these school shooters, it would have saved 17 lives in this shooter's case, in my opinion. Well, the other thing is, if they, someone says that this person has guns, then they'll have to search the house because they don't have a record or database if this person actually does have guns or how many guns they are collecting. Right. So it's ineffective in that case. Right. Um, which is, I'm glad there's no database. I'm not saying I'm not asking for a database to be built. I'm right. just saying it will be ineffective for that reason. Um, I think it's crap that uh, I think nothing is serious enough that someone cannot defend themselves in trial. If it's so serious that you need to do it, then the judge, the trial, it could happens immediately. Him and his guns are brought before the judge, you know, and giving and he's giving it enough time to defend himself. I, I, I get the impression this kid would have gone, yeah, I need some help. You know, well, well yeah, but that's the fact that you're basically stripping someone's rights away temporarily. That's just right. the same thing as like, hey, can we temporarily just throw someone in jail for six months? Well, we th- think he's, well we think these are crafted on domestic violence laws. Right. Yeah. Well, I would, I would want to know what immediate recourse there is. Like, say, you know, you put in for one of these temporary restraining orders. You know, is there a hearing within the first week? Is there anything or is it just you have nothing 90 days? Right. You know, it it really depends a lot on the way the law is structured because there has to be due process there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, but just you know off. that due process can be restorative. The uh, you know the cops can arrest you, and then during your hearing, you are able to argue your way out of it or something. You know, mm-hmm. there there can be due process with this, and still you know be able to put in that barrier. Yeah. And that's going to be something that I'd have to actually read through the laws before I could say whether I support it or not. Yeah, because we're talking about stripping someone's right with no due process, no and, and ability to defend themselves, which yeah. is awful. Which, I, which, I absolutely understand the gravity of what, what is being proposed here. Which it has been shown. We have things on record that, unfortunately, in this country, that people have used our laws on the books vindictively to cause harm onto people. In, people saying false rape, rape accusations. Including the domestic um, violence domestic laws violence that these are based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, claimings like this person hit me, they probably have never touched their hands on it. Or if they did, they simply did it in self-defense on themselves, but they hit harder. Like the Clive, that- the Clive and Bundy situation, this could have been invoked in that situation. When when that's a – those are not people who necessarily need to have their guns stripped from them. But in, in the case of somebody like Ruby Ridge, 
you, you could have in the case of Ruby Ridge specifically where somebody goes to collect the guns and it turns into a standoff situation. You mean like Waco? Yeah. So this is exactly, this is not necessarily a, a, a none of these solutions that we're kind of talking about here are yeah. are the well, silver bullet. Yeah, but. right. Well, with Waco, that also turned into because, of the, you know, the sheriff in that town sitting there and told the ATF, hey, don't go, these people are afraid of the government, don't look that, you should just walk up there in plain clothes, don't be afraid of them, you know, and don't go up there in your tank. What did they do? They drove up there in their tank in full tech gear. Yeah. Um... This was an interesting idea. I don't agree with it, you know, from a libertarian perspective, uh, and it wouldn't last under First Amendment. But should media outlets be fined for using the shooter's name? Uh, obviously, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I've done it th- four times tonight on accident. But you, you really, you look at CNN and you look at uh, the New York Times and the Daily Mail and some of these others. Now, we are libertarians, and uh, the Daily Wire and other outlets are saying we're not going to use this person's name because we're not going to make them famous. There are studies that show that the repeated lionization of this person by the the media—excuse me, hiccup—the uh, use of this person's name, it does have a a—what's uh, uh, the a copycat effect, uh, and so somebody like this— this particular shooter starts to idolize uh, past shooters. And media outlets, I think, really need to think about their moral responsibility, their duty to this this country and communities around the... Like, you, you shouldn't put this person, his name, and his photo up all the time. But I also understand it's newsworthy. And so... I'm not for fining media outlets because, uh, again, we have a First Amendment. But at the same time, I do think that there really should be a strong conversation in these newsrooms about what they're doing because I do think they bear some responsibility for this turning into a trend over the last 20 years. Yeah, I doubt so, that. I, 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 I doubt that the fact the, 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 I, I, I doubt that it causes that many copycats as this is it does. Mm-hmm. Um could probably stop one possibly i like the the idea that they're not going to try to make this person i like that the idea that it is like something that they some people just agree on and that's you know and it's voluntary that's what i appreciate well i think that even if you strip the name out of all the coverage you make it so that it's just an event that happened and it's just what you're reporting on i think you still have the chance of a copycat because maybe they don't need to be famous yeah you know maybe all they want is that fear that power that they get by carrying out something like this and Mm -hmm. at that point you if you go as far as to ban them from talking about the person themselves then you might as well bar them from covering this sort of story altogether because you know just the reporting on the events the fear behind it is going to be something that somebody else might want to replicate yeah correct because even if they don't mention the name the name is still going to be out there of Someone's, course yeah the name is out there it's public it's going to be public information right but there's a difference right. and i can tell you doing this as a lit for a living like when when you want to embed something in people's minds you repeat it over and over and over you know we I know one of the names of the Columbine shooters. I know the name of the Sandy Hook shooter. 
but I've made a point to not learn the name of any of the others. Like, I don't know the name of the... I think if I thought hard enough, I could think of the Vegas shooter. But it, I just think that there is a um, there is a real effect that that takes place when the media repeats something over and over and over. I don't know any of their names. I don't know the names of the Columbine shooters. I don't know. Um, I had to look up the name of the guy from the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, yeah. I had to look up the even the guy who shot Brady. I had to go look that guy up. I couldn't remember his name. All right. Uh, I almost forgot. I almost said it too. And I came. Yeah, I wanted to say it. I can't even think of the guy's name. Actually, I'm right, like the Aurora notes. guy. Yeah, that, I, I can't yeah. think of any of these guys' names. I think I know their their the, the, their crimes and their victims, but that's me. That's my brain. Uh, th- another point on the media: uh, the CNN town hall, uh, as I have referred to it as the 1984 two minutes hate. It was stunning uh, when you, when you have. A kid saying, you know, when I look at you, Senator, I'm looking down the barrel of an AR-15. Uh, you know what? I, I have, I, I, I'm genuinely asking this. Uh, I have not been able to find the story of the kids that are consistently trotted out every day on CNN, like David Hogg and the, and the her name's Gonzalez with the shaved head. Yeah. You know, the kids who are pro-gun control are trotted out all the time. The kids who are not pro gun their pro gun rights are not on CNN. They're you know now they're starting to get on Fox News or whatever. Uh but these kids have turned into a football. Mm-hmm. Uh we talked a lot about them on the last episode. I I wanted to give you guys um uh your chance to talk about it. You know, I I agree that they have a right to speak. I think that they have um you know, something to share in terms of uh an experience that most of us don't have. But they they didn't go through this tragedy, and the second somebody pulled a gun in their school, immediately learned more about gun right. gun rights and statistics and studying the issue. I mean, they don't know more now. They probably know right. more now, two weeks later or a week later, than but than they did right before. Like they don't become experts because they've been through a tragedy. Right. But I'm saying, but what I want to know is what were their personal experiences? What I have not heard discussed. Is were were they in proximity to the shooter? Were they in another building? Like, are these kids being trotted out as experts when they like they're they just go to the school? I mean, obviously, if they went to the school, it's a traumatic thing. I'm not trying to undermine that, but I've not actually seen anybody in the media ask that question. Like, what was your experience? Um, and so, if you have seen that, I would appreciate seeing that because it's something that in the, in preparation for this episode, I couldn't find. Um, so if you have seen like their story, I, I, I am interested in it, but, uh, you know, the, what it's, it's wildly inappropriate for CNN to take students who are going through a traumatic time and allow them to say ridiculous things to somebody like Marco Rubio, who is a politician. Yes. But like, Saying that you see your friend's dead faces and like his face and you know Dana Lash, how do you feel about murdering my friends? Like, it's it's morally gross. It's morally right. inappropriate. And like Jake Tapper should have immediately said, "This is not right. This is not how we actually operate uh, discourse." Mm-hmm. But you know, should we listen to these kids? What do you guys think about the the new faces that we're never going, we're never not going to see these? Like David Hogg, 
is already thinking about dropping out of high school to become a professional gun control advocate. Like every time there's a shooting from here on out, they're going to be trotted out. And ugh. and like his logic on everything that he says is so poor because he's 17. Right. Like I heard one commentator say like, OK, well, now we're listening to teenagers. So when are we going to start? We tried out Jimmy Kimmel's baby. We'll start listening to him. And then at a certain point, we'll start just listening to plants. Uh, for our public policy because the logic of a 17-year-old is childish. And you see in their arguments childish thinking because they're uninformed teenagers. Right. Right. So, so what do you guys think about it now that I've said my piece? So, <laughs> you know, it it's really difficult and that's why they're being trotted out is it's really difficult to criticize them or their arguments because of what they've been through and who they are. But Unfortunately, the fact is they have an anecdotal experience with this, a very public and tragic one, yes, but the plural of anecdote is not data. Right. You know, you can – we have this problem as humans of looking at somebody who has had an experience like this or, you know – Maybe green tea cured your aunt's cancer. Right. You know, but that's an anecdote. That's not data. That isn't going to be the case in every situation. And it's a really poor point to be building policy off of. But at the same time, data can be so easily manipulated and we just don't trust data. Like we illustrated earlier, like the data that the left uses on gun control. Well, we're not like other countries. Well, it's it's it's. Y- their data is probably right, just as John Lott's data is probably right, and then everybody just goes, "I don't know what to believe, so I'm just going to go into tribalism." Uh, but I, I totally agree right. with your point: is that anecdotes and personal experiences have somehow, in this age, trumped reason, logic, facts, data, research, expertise is really underappreciated, uh, and that's sort of the problem with these kids: is that they're not experts, right? Yeah, they're, they're right to voice their opinion. They're just wrong. You can just be wrong. It's right. okay, you know. And that, and hopefully, you know, as they grow older and learn new information, hopefully, you know, they will be able to form their opinion better. I hope that guy doesn't drop out of high school. Hope he goes to a college, educate, go to college, takes a critical thinking class, possibly learn and meet interesting people and talk to people who has a different opinion and not and puts that you know argumentative style behind him and grows as a person. Yeah, there's a Colorado legislator who was in Columbine and now is for gun rights, mm-hmm. and he's a like a state legislator, I think. Uh, I don't think he's a congressman, but he's in a representative body. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, 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 he's not. It does. He may not think the same thing in ten years. Right. Yeah. That's part of growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you know, it's okay. Say say what you want. You can say what you want. You say you know. It's um. Is it. It's just more of a it, – it goes to the same ilk as trying to have a conversation with someone on the internet that does not want to, one, challenge themselves or be able to and, – and I doubt that as – that he is that he could argue the other side. That's another, another thing. Right. I, be, I bet if challenged, it's like, hey, can you argue for rights? How about this? I'll argue for gun control. You argue for Second Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, Glenn Beck uh, has set off – uh, part of the this correlation, another cause that is, you know, some people on the conservative right 
the social conservatives are pushing is that part of the problem is the disintegration of families and fatherless kids. Uh, and that our society is seeing more school shootings because less kids have fathers and that in uh, – and again, in correlation to a lot of these kids, they don't have fathers in their lives. Uh, although the Sandy Hook shooter, his dad was involved in his life. Um, so mm-hmm. so it's not the rule, but you know, he argued and I've seen several different people pick it up across the spectrum saying uh, this is – again, people t- – it's like a Rorschach test. People take uh, uh, what's in the news and just apply their biases to it and say this is why I'm right. Um, but I, I do wonder if there is some merit to – the fact that a lot of these kids don't have strong male presences in their life, uh, that the family units have disintegrated, that this kid like had to be taken in by a family friend. Like he wasn't, and she felt sorry for the kid after his mom died. He had no one else in the family to kind of take him in. So people without a strong family unit don't generally fare, fare well mentally with self-esteem with with a lot of things in life so do you think that uh, a generation of kids without fathers or str- weak male presences in their life or the disintegration of the nuclear family had anything to play anything to do with school shooting in general okay um, um a good book for like if you want to read about this I, I suggest reading the book the war against boys to understand that the um, school system and everything has flipped and changed that the school system is most public education school system is not a good place for young men and young right. males um if you have any doubts about this or don't want to pick up this book look uh, just we'll look at, listen to one of george peterson's talks and when he talks about how some of these males they grow up and has never heard an encouraging word in their life go back and listen to episode 261 and 262 of this podcast yeah and you and and it goes now that now uh, this just shows you just the attack that that has happened on the young male self it going through um uh, just public education but major but majority of males get through that somehow they were you know and they don't become school shooters and do i feel um it's it's like i said it's so such so small so drop in a bucket there's not enough you know correlation to it it's in, you know it's not insufficient data i, I can't you know because there's so many people who are uh, so many males that are products of single mothers that have gone on to do great things Right, and right. there's people who have had terrible uh, family lives, who had you know grew up in as an or- you know has been orphans, stuff like that, have gone off and also done things with their lives. Right, right. Uh, so I I think one question that I'd have here for somebody advocating for that theory, uh, for that hypothesis of everything here, uh, then why haven't we seen a wave of this proceeding twenty, thirty years within the black community? Because fatherless households, uh, honestly, were first in the black community, and now it's also happening in the white community more and more. Uh, But for some reason, we don't have this rash of school shooters. They're young, troubled black men in high schools. Yeah, there may not be school shooters, but that's because they're – I mean the largest – uh, population of people dying are young black men. I mean, Correct, it's yeah. and, beca- right. and, and gun deaths. I mean, the the largest like seventy five percent of gun deaths are suicides, usually by men. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the second largest is young black men between the age of sixteen and twenty five killing each other. Mm-hmm. 
uh, on the streets because of drug laws. So uh, the and the, the way the police and the police react to those you know, to the situations. Absolutely. Uh, so it's a it's a layer of it. You know, as you see different, you see different layers of it. But um, also with Paul's like, but um, you also see like in the Irish community also happened to it around the same time as well. I just want to point that out. Loud. Not saying that restaurant discount discount. Like, I'm just right. trying to say that um, the results of um, the, the, the white Irish people also had had a struggle with that as well. They cause they were also attacked with black people. Well, right, but yeah. it's definitely something that the focus is more on the black oh, community. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, I just want to show how, how I can cross through race and stuff like that. But even though all these issues, there's a lot of different people who, you know, grew up and they did tackle themselves on. So like I said, to me, insufficient data. Yeah. Uh, I want to read something from Michael Ian Black, a comedian of all people. But he's been leading the charge on Twitter for something that I have been saying for uh, uh, Michael Ian Black. Let's see what he was in. Wasn't he an Ed? He's it, it, like he's the guy that if you saw him, you'd go, "Oh yeah." Um, <laughs> let's see. He's. I don't mean you look up. Just keep going. <laughs> the uh, yeah, like I don't know. You see, he, I don't know what he's been in, but he's just like okay, yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Like right, Google, yeah, him, yeah, you'll yeah, know, yeah, you'll see. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, thanks. So, so he wrote an opinion piece on February twenty first in. The New York Times. Uh, I'm going to read parts, if not a lot of this, because he has some really good points uh, in this. I used to have a one-liner. If you want to emasculate a guy friend when you're at a restaurant, ask him everything that he's going to order, and then when the waitress comes, order for him. It's funny because it shouldn't be easy to rob a man of his masculinity, but it is. When What do these shootings have in common? Guns, yes, but also boys. Girls aren't pulling the trigger. It's boys. It's almost always boys. America's boys are broken, and it's killing us. The brokenness of the country's boys stand in contrast to its girls, who still face an abundance of obstacles, but go into the world increasingly well-equipped to take them on. The past 50 years have redefined what it means to be female in America. Girls today are told that they can do anything, be anyone. They've absorbed the message. They're outperforming boys in school at every level. But it isn't just about performance. To be a girl today is to be the beneficiary of decades of conversation about the complexities of womanhood, its many forms and many expressions. Boys, though, have been left behind. No commensurate movement has emerged to help them navigate toward a full expression of their gender. It's no longer enough to be a man. We no longer even know what that means. Too many boys are trapped in the same suffocating, outdated model of masculinity where manhood is measured in its strength, where there is no way to be vulnerable without being emasculated. Amen. Where manliness is about having power over others. They're trapped, and they don't even have the language to talk about how they feel about being trapped. Because the language that exists to discuss the full range of human emotions is still viewed as sensitive and feminine. Men feel isolated, confused, and conflicted about their natures. Many feel that the very qualities that used to define them, their strength, aggression, and competitiveness, are no longer wanted or needed. Many others never felt strong or aggressive or competitive to begin with. We don't know how to be, and we're terrified. But to even admit our terror is to be reduced because we don't have a model of masculinity that allows for fear or grief or tenderness or the day-to-day -day sadness 
that sometimes overtakes us all. Case in point, a few days ago, I posted a brief thread about those thoughts on Twitter, knowing I would receive hateful replies in response. I got dozens of messages impugning my manhood, the mildest of them calling me a soy boy, a, a common insult among the alt-right that links soy intake to estrogen. And so the man who feels lost but wishes to prefer, preserve his fully masculine self has only two choices, withdrawal or rage. We've seen what withdrawal and rage have the potential to do. School shootings are only the most public of tragedies. Others on a smaller scale take the place across the country daily. Another commonality among shooters is a history of abuse towards women. To be clear, most men will never turn violent. Most men will turn out fine. Most will learn to navigate the deep waters of their feelings without ever engaging in any form of destruction. Most will grow up to be kind, but many will not. We will probably never understand why any one young man decides to end the lives of others, but we can see at least one pattern, and that pattern is glaringly obvious. It's boys. I believe in boys. I believe in my son. Sometimes, though, I see him, 16 years old, swallowing his frustration, burying his worry, stomping up the stairs without telling us what's wrong, and I want to show him what it looks like to be vulnerable and open, but I can't, because I was a boy once, too. There has to be a way to expand what it means to be a man without losing our masculinity. I don't know how we open ourselves up to rich complexity of our manhood, I think we would benefit from the same conversations girls and women have been having for the past 50 years. I would like men to use feminism as an inspiration in the same way that feminists use the civil rights movement as theirs. I'm not advocating a quick fix because there isn't one. But we have to start the conversation. Boys are broken and I want to help. Uh, I think if you're a man in this audience listening to that, there were several points where the hair stood on the arms and you went, ooh, that hits me deep. Like, um, yeah. And, it, and, 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 well, the other thing is like, it, because it's, it, it rings true. And a lot of guys are like, um, I went through like a huge rough patch in my twenties and I've, and even being in a wall, it helps me more be able to express my emotions, be open to it. People like when yeah. it was like, Hey, I feel your anger. It's like, Hey, if I'm not angry, I'll tell you if I'm angry, I'll tell you if I'm sad. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, ignoring my hard reading. And, and, and I, I get weirded out by some men that do not like, um, me expressing my emotions. And I like, and when they get put off and back up and like, Whoa, what are you doing? What do you mean? You're just like, calm down. I'm like, dude, I am expressing my emotion, and if you don't like it, then we can. I don't know if we can be friends. Right. I'm, I'm going to express my emotions. I'm going to be open with you, and I. And guess what? One a couple of times, if we hang out enough, I'm probably going to hug you and touch you. Most men walk around without ever feeling like the um, like a, just just another human's physical touch. And I'm not saying it has to be like it's like I'm not talking about sexual touching. I'm just talking about just companionship touching. That's why like a a lot of guys who are sad and stuff like that, I recommend them doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Just for the simple fact of one, you get to work out. Two, that physical contact with another man, it just simply, it or just another person, a mm -hmm. person, it it just helps you just like relate to the humanity that's inside you. Yeah, it lets you that wants you to open up. 
That's why a lot of BJJ guys are very open and they're very, you know, they're you're all about helping everybody else. I, be, my, because most men, majority, if you're not in a relationship, you haven't touched someone that wasn't a family member. When um, I was going through my divorce, I read the love languages, the five love languages, which I everybody should read. It's a it's a Christian book, but it's it. it like just go take the test. Like that's all you need to do. Go to the five love languages website and take the test. And people express their love through five ways. They it's through touch, through words, through uh, acts of service, through um, uh, gift giving, and um, I always forget that fifth one. Acts of service, touch. Uh, can you look that up? I don't know if you guys have the ability to look something up, but. Uh, here, <laughs> get on my tablet. Yeah, keep talking. I'll, so I'll, I have um, it would autocorrected young younglings beer. Sorry, younglings <laughs> beard beer. Oh, okay. Younglings, yeah. Quality time. So I'm like ten out of ten on physical touch, and eight out of ten on words. And my ex wife was ten out of ten on receiving gifts. And I was one out of ten on receiving gifts. And so she would bring me these little trinkets that she had collected through the day and give them to me. And I would say, why would you bring me this junk? Now I have to throw this away. This is an item I don't need. And to her, I was rejecting her love. Mm-hmm. And so she stopped when she would walk up. I would touch her hip. So she stopped walking up to me. She stopped sitting next to me. She withdrew touch. We lost the those conversations. It really helped me understand how I give and receive love, and uh, it didn't hit me until I was Hmm. about eight, nine months out of my divorce. I had not been around anyone that had touched me, Um, you know, maybe like a hug with a family member here or there, but I just remember uh, going to church one Wednesday, and... This church that I was going to at the time was a Methodist church, so it was full of 70, 80-year-old women mm-hmm. <laughs> and guys. And we got in a prayer circle, and I remember holding hands with two 80-year-old women who were brushing up next to me, and my body lit up because it was the first touch of a human being that I had had in months. And uh, the skin hunger... I don't have it as much now just because I don't um, I, I don't have the self-esteem and ego wounds that I ha- I have the self-esteem now. I don't have those ego wounds. I have a very fulfilling life. Uh, but 2014 me was very much in this place that he's talking about. And I've been in that place so many times in my life where I have so much going on in my inner life and I can't express it. And along the way, I learned that I don't have a choice. And this podcast has pushed me. And in doing this podcast and going to therapy for a couple of years and reading books, uh, I've read more self-help books than any normal person should. I've learned that I have to be emotionally expressive. I am a highly sensitive person. I am a person that loves people, but I also need time away and I need... um, to express what I am feeling on the inside or else I become very angry. And I don't feel that I am different than most men. I think 
Most men have a very rich inner life that is very dead and dormant, and it leads to a very sad life, and they don't know how to handle it, and so they retreat. They withdraw, and I've picked on video games, but video games and sports and some of these ways are really good ways to withdraw. Now, video games and fantasy football leagues can be great ways to connect with people. Shared interests can be a great Mm -hmm. way to connect with people. The Discord... The Facebook groups, We Are Libertarians, is a great way for you to connect to like-minded people. Uh, We've built a great community. And one thing that I've, as I have changed, my friend group and the people that come on this podcast, as Harry said, have changed. Because I demand people Mm -hmm. to say, because I'm crazy, (laughs) I go, am I crazy? I need you to explain my emotions to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... You know, like Greg and I have had a falling out, uh, but I will be forever grateful to Greg for the endless patience that he had for me those years after my divorce, explaining to me, just listening to me. Uh, And, like, that, that friendship with other people is so rare amongst men. And yet so necessary, mm-hmm. because if you don't vent, then you will blow up, mm-hmm. and you need to understand the underlying portions of your brain that cause you to do the things that you do. And so it's easy to look at somebody like a school shooter and um, hate them, and you should, because it, what this kid did was evil. But as I have become more in touch with my emotional side, with my empathetic side, um, I look at somebody like this school shooter who has no one in the world, and the one person they did have was a mother who was probably sick and didn't have the energy because boys take so much more energy than women. Like I spent the afternoon with my nieces. They are great, and they are a handful, but they are nothing like a boy. (laughs) A little boy has its a lot of need, and that doesn't go away. We still have that, Mm -hmm. and when you have somebody who is hyperactive and angry and can't express that and is isolated and lost in the world and has never been given the tools to express that, to the point that when they call 911 and they say, I'm in a bad place, my mother is dead, and I don't know how to handle this. And the world goes, eh, hug your hug your stepbrother, you're fine. Yep. What options are left for somebody like that to take the pain in their soul out? So it's not an excuse because it's an evil act. But there has to be avenues for when somebody like this doesn't know what to do and reaches out and says, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to blow up. We have to start listening because this is why this is going to keep happening. And Billy Graham passed away and uh, was somebody that was very important in my life. I went in 1996 to see his crusade and 
Uh, I hated every second of it. My mom forced me to go because I had become an atheist, pretty young. And uh, I was at the lowest point in my life. My parents, my entire nuclear and extended family eroded from 13 to 15. And I was, I identify with a Nicholas Cruz because I understand what it's like to be completely lost in the world. And no one is there to help you. And the depths of despair that I went through at 17... I'm I'm an imploder, I'm not an exploder. So my rage was turned inward and I have spent most of my life as a very suicidal person. And one day uh I was 17 and I'd become a Buddhist because it had given me peace. And so I decided I wasn't an atheist anymore. Uh and then I started reading into Christianity a little bit after 9-11, which shook me a lot. But I'm driving home one day uh, in November of 2001, and I didn't know how I was going to kill myself, but I had made the decision that I was going to do it because I didn't have anything else in my life. I, I didn't have any way to pull myself up out of that hole. And I I remember walking in the door and my mom was home at five in the afternoon, which she never was. And she was watching Billy Graham on the TV, which why was there a Billy Graham crusade on at five in the afternoon? I don't know. Um, so I went down to my room and I started watching and I watched it till six o'clock and I decided that I would go to church that night because it was a Wednesday. And it was that night, sitting in the sanctuary of my local church, that I decided to become a Christian and felt something significant. Um, I, I, I feel that like I am so prone to disbelief and questioning that I was given the gift of feeling something so significant that I have never once doubted the existence of God since that night. Uh, And went to youth group that night, had a prayer circle. uh, And I don't know, it was, it gave me a sense of belonging. And it was that night that I connected to my church, to my youth group. And, to Jesus Christ and everything that has been good in my life came out of that experience uh, because it was a framework for me to learn what it meant to be a decent human being (laughs) and um, what people get out of Christianity is the command to love other people And so I learned how to become more gentle, to become more loving, to become more caring, to become... uh, I'm working on humility right now. (laughs) Uh, But it wasn't until my divorce that I learned that love had to be turned inward. 
and the grief that came out of that experience over the last four years has made me infinitely better because it put me on my knees. And all of those things that I had to learn in my early 20s, I had to experience again the last four years. And uh, the constant presence of God in my life has been so significant that um, I I just can't help but be a different person than the one I was as a young man. So I, I think about Billy Graham and the impact that he had on, on people. And I know that, you know, oh, well, he was worth $25 million. I read it on you, on you, YouTube or, or Yahoo. I, I heard this about him. He said this one thing about the Jews once. There's billions of people in this world who have had an experience because one man decided in his youth that he would dedicate himself to an idea and he would spend the rest of his life spreading that idea that would positively impact people's lives. It impacted me. And I just think that if libertarians were more uh, like Billy Graham uh, illustrated talking in a very simple way illustrating their points in a friendly manner with an air of humility you can't be you can't read about Billy Graham or watch a video about Billy Graham and not be touched by his humility and we are so bad at that we are so bad at not thinking that we understand everything in the world and this is how it should be ordered and you just need to get in on on the train, right? Uh, he was persuading people and sometimes we are too forceful in our language. But his boldness to say exactly what he thought at all times made him significant. And I, I referenced it earlier <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm crying like a pussy. Uh, But libertarians at some point have to knock off the shit. Stop posting about how much the Libertarian Party sucks, how much this guy sucks. I'm guilty of it, too. I love to make fun of Liberty Hangout on Twitter. And start explaining our ideas in a bold manner. Because if you decide that you're going to start explaining what people's rights are with an air of humility, you're going to – it doesn't matter what your idea is. It's not even libertarianism. If you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you are a a believer in cryptocurrency, if you are a believer in Discord, (laughs) speak with boldness and do it in a way that persuades people. Do it happily. Explain why this thing makes people's life better. And the amount of people that will be impressed by your humility, your boldness, 
I mean, it's a it's a ballsy thing to get on, uh, up in front of a stadium of people and say there is one way to heaven. You can only go to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ. If you believe in anything else, then you will go to hell. If you're a Muslim, you will go to hell. That's a bold statement for somebody like Billy Graham to get up in front of 50,000 people with millions millions of people watching on TV and say that. And the man is beloved. (laughs) And you may look at that and you may go, well, that's, uh, that's not the ideology that I believe in. But people listened to him because he was bold, uh, and he believed in something, and he had character, and he was a man of virtue. You may not believe what he believed. You may not believe in the virtues that he believed in, but he lived what he said, and he spoke with boldness. And men, it sucks out there for us. And we're finally starting to talk about it. The best thing that you can do in your life, um, read, read, read. First and foremost, read. Uh, Scary Close by Donald Miller is great. The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown is great. Um, Scanning my bookshelf. I should have (laughs) prepared a book list, but I didn't plan on talking about this. Um, You know, Books that nourish your soul, books that uh, are not history and politics and war and uh, read something that will make your emotional life and mental life better. Um, You know, go to church or a mosque. If you're you're not a religious person, uh, if you're just an atheist – uh, if you're an atheist, so be it. At least you've wrestled with the question. But if you're not, start wrestling with the question of God and spirituality and don't be afraid of asking people uh, questions. Find some meaning and then start speaking boldly about it. And by doing that, when we find meaning, when we start speaking boldly, when we start living at the values that we believe in, we're going to be fine. But we cannot start until we just admit, I'm wasting my time doing nothing. And I'm going to die in 30 to 40 to 20. Kevin Smith almost had a heart attack. He had a massive heart attack and wrote this beautiful note on Facebook saying, I've lived a great life. If I die tomorrow, if I died today, I just thought about all the people that I love and all the things that I've done and how cool it's been. And it's because he tried. And if you never try, then when you're laying on the table, I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. So, uh, sorry for making this more serious than I thought it was going to be, but... uh, I just read that and just uh, that 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 article, that opinion piece really punched me in the gut. Hmm. What about you guys? Your entire statement, dude, that was I never really watched Billy Graham that much growing up. But I think hearing your words and how you what you went through as a teenager, I went through some of the similar aspects um and and 
and I almost could like like I said, like you hit like just like people in the chat, they're talking about this hit real real close to home because a lot of people like they have the same thing too, like right. Um, and you know, even I remember like the time like when I was having all some issues that uh, when I did finally find my church home, that is what you know that's where I really felt home again. Right. You know, you you it, it felt right. It felt this is, you know, it's so. And I'm glad that you that that you that's what you found that that centered you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I I say I'm a Christian, and I've not talked a lot about it because a lot of uh, as I've gone through my divorce, I've not wanted to say I'm a Christian because I've not been proud of how I've acted, and I didn't want to uh, be a bad witness. Uh, and I've made some massive life changes over the last few months. Uh, just because I want to be, if I say I believe in something, then I should live those beliefs. <laughs> and uh, it's just important. And, you know, temptation is everywhere, but turning down temptation, you go, I could have had that moment of self-gratification. Like I went, you know, little things, not just things like sexual things. Uh, but but even in terms of sex, you know, we, well, I, I, I you know, well, it's fine, but it's it's kind of not fine. Like once you like, uh, you're going through the motions with somebody, and you're like, I don't want to marry this person, but now I got to get out of this, and this is super awkward because we're attached. Like then you're hurting yourself, you're hurting them. But even down to the little things, like I had broccoli instead of tater tots for lunch the other day. Because I, li- I literally sat there and I went, I can have tater tots now and they taste really good. I love tater tots. Mm-hmm. So but if I have the broccoli, I have less of a chance of being sick when I'm old. And so I had the broccoli. <laughs> and wanting to be old is why I'm able to make those choices. <laughs> and if you... The reason it hits home is because we 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 have unmoored ourselves. Uh, we are full postmodern. Uh, we don't have truth. If you believe in truth, you're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, you everything's relative, and I just don't believe that. And I I think most libertarians don't believe that. I mean, maybe maybe they disagree with the religion, but there are just things that are true. Yeah, I have an inherent right to own a gun. And I have an inherent right to protect myself. And if you don't agree with me, I'm sorry you're wrong, but I'm not going to budge. Right. And I'll speak as the uh, token atheist in the room. I I believe in truth. There are things that can be demonstrated to be true. You know, I come to my truths in a different way than Christians come to their truths. But, you know... You you still have a value system that you try to live by. You still have wrestled with the idea. You still are, right. you, you know. And I I don't I don't think I don't make the mistake that everybody has to think like I do. Um, I certainly uh, recommend Christianity to everybody <laughs> because I can tell you uh, it is the best thing in my life. And. Second is like libertarianism, like in terms of ideology, and they they're so uh, hand in hand. But I look at it, and and being a Christian makes me go. I see a Nicholas Cruz, and I can call him evil because he 
evil exists and he exists and he did something horrible. But what about that person is causing him to do that? What inside him is hurting and how do we fix that for the next person Right. so they don't make the next mistake? And do we as a community, do we as individuals in a society have a responsibility for somebody like that? In that, when you come in contact with every person that you meet, are you treating them like a human being or are you treating them like an inconvenience? And when you treat people the way Christ treated people, he would treat Nicholas Cruz with love and tenderness and affection and say, why are you angry? Let me listen. And then Nicholas Cruz wouldn't kill 17 people. And if he would, maybe maybe there'd at least be a better chance that he wouldn't because he would have had somebody to listen. Had one of those police officers said, what's going on, man? Let me recommend you go talk to this person. Had the, the those police officers taken an extra five minutes, maybe that he, he and directed him when he was so clearly reaching out for help. And I know in the world today there are so many people and there's so many needs and I'm so busy. Like busy with what? <laughs> Playing yeah. Battleship on Facebook Messenger? Like you're too busy to like have a conversation with somebody that clearly is hurting? Like what are you really busy with? Because let's be real honest. When you put eternity at the center of your life, Everything that we talk about on this podcast gets really fucking silly. <laughs> the 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 arguments just become silly. You know, we have them. But like arguing with face with someone on Facebook, is it really worth it being right so hard that this person unfriends me and then wearing that as a badge of honor? Like what did that achieve? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and arguments won. <laughs> and I just think we're coming to this place as a society where we're all shaking each other going, what are we doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where where are we headed? You know, you have like we're, we're all headed to a really bad place because we're just unmoored from basic decency. And everybody is now kind of going, this might be a problem. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, final thoughts for this episode. Want me to go? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, first thing, um, with when it comes to tater tots and cookies, all things in moderation. If you had broccoli for a bunch, you can have a little bit of t- tater tots or a little bit of tachos once in a while. It's okay <laughs> to have a cheat meal. Right. Just look. Just if you don't, if you don't know how to manage your food, follow the rock. Um, just shrink his portions down to what you can manage, but he'll show you how to really cheat in your cheat meal. A um, couple of things. Um, reading things up for this episode, I said I would wrap this up, but up until the um, 94 um, assault weapons ban in this country, what they think they didn't notice from a lot of the surveys and stuff that they took that uh, gun ownership, there was, may have been a lot of guns, but really only at that time, 24% of people really owned guns. When the gun, when the assault, when the assault weapons ban finally went into replace and everything started going through, that's when gun ownership per person really started to kick into gear and go up. Right. It was more of like the moment the government started banning it, the more people who wanted to own guns, period. Mm-hmm. And you can also read up on the assault weapon ban and realize which gun that it did ban in it. And that considering that most AR-15s would have passed and did sell under the assault weapons ban, they just sold in a different type of um, configuration. Right. 
Um, the other thing um, to bring up too is when it comes out to uh, when people pop up statistics about different countries, especially the UK, you have to watch out because the UK has been tr- shown to report all their uh, guns, gun death and gun crimes statistically differently than right. anywhere else. Um, like if they don't get a conviction, they don't really call that a gun death. Um, just so you have to really jump into their hard numbers. Like, no, 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 I don't want your statistics. Like, I want to know how many people who were died from a gunshot wound or something like that. Right. Because they mostly go for convictions down in court. So if it wasn't convictions and stuff like that, you know, they didn't really count those that much. Or if there was multiple people, they counted it as one murder. It's one of those things that they did for funky accounting work. Right. Um, let's see here. Uh, the other thing is with um, – um, because when you start really re- going into the other things, like you can use these things to win, win in an argument, but at the same time, it's really not about winning. But it, like you can tell that like some people just don't want to talk about the like the um, the aspect of it. Just like everyone brings up Brady and the Brady laws and stuff like right. that. Right? You know, he, that guy got shot by a twenty-two little pistol. Right, you know, little, tiny little gun, tiny little yeah. tiny little pistol, and he, he went after also all, all guns for from a little tiny little pistol, little tiny little pistol handgun, um, because uh, let's see, and but like I said, I'll get uh, most of these links are in the Trello, so hopefully, like a, a Spangle will throw some of those out, and I'll bring up some of those back and on Loki Wall because I'm Loki Wall is back. Screw all you haters who think I wasn't going to come back. I just got busy and a lot of things going with wrong with Liberty and chill and stuff like that. It's my fault because like I said, this idol thing has been kicking my butt. All those in the discord that have heard me complain. And like I had that last bit with, with Greece cause Greece sucks as a country. I decided to, it had to send a NDA under rest because of that. But anyways, what? Yeah, I no, no, I'm not, I can't even get, get into it. Anyways. Um, no, Greece disc- sucks. disclose now, please. Dis- Greece sucks. Okay. Right. In order to take the, um, ITIL certification, um, at my house, because I want to do it at my house because you know I'm stuck at the home all day. Uh, I can't really take my daughter to the testing center, so they gave me a bit of software from Greece they use to be able to take the test at my house, and it kept crashing my Windows machine, and they kept trying and I had to like troubleshoot them and show like and the only way I was able to get it to work, which I uh, luckily I had the Mac Power Mac right mm-hmm. from uh, that Spangles Mac computer at the house. And I booted in that sucker, so they kept going, hmm. hold on, hmm. because it's a fresh install, there's no firewalls installed, hmm. no antivirus. So the so- Mac <laughs> worked while the Windows crashed. Hmm. I used the Mac because hmm. they wouldn't troubleshoot a Windows machine. They had all these different layers to go through, but when it went to Mac, right, when it went to, when I used a Mac, their troubleshooting sets instantly went to, hey, we're going to use a different software. Hmm. And they gave me a different software. But for Windows, they wanted to troubleshoot. They wanted me to uninstall Just everything. for the record, which machine worked? It was the Which, which was operating the, the, system? Um, uh, High Sierra. It was High Sierra. Not yeah. Windows 10. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, final thoughts for the episode. <laughs> Hold on. I'm done. I got one more thing. One more all thing. right. Shout out to all the people who are out there, especially um, super friendly area. I hope you guys are okay down there in Louisville. Hope you guys stay dry. Hope you stay dry. So, we Northern all, Indiana's getting yeah, bad too. Yeah, we see all that, and it, it's I I feel bad. I, I hope you guys are okay. I haven't seen you on Discord in a while, so I I'm worried. Paul, well, it's been great being here. Uh, hopefully, it won't be the only time. Yeah, you uh, did great. Some, I'm gonna definitely have you back. Yeah, uh, hopefully, a little bit more lighthearted in the future. Uh, I th- I literally told Harry I was like, you know, we're gonna have a more light show, more yeah. chit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, 
I'm things going got a little intense there. Yeah. But uh, what can you do? No, uh, every time you every once in a while you need to weep on an episode of We Are Libertarians. It's <laughs> otherwise there needs to be a fight, some weeping. This is the full range of emotions in the world of podcasting. Uh no, uh well, I am uh currently serving as the uh secretary for the LPMC. Uh those of you that are listening, they're in the Marion County area. I do hope to see you next month at the business meeting. Uh I love seeing new faces at the business meetings uh, at Liberty and Chill. If you are, I think our range now is a uh, hundred miles or so. Yeah, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if Christy can make it, you have no excuse. You know, come on down, hang out, have fun. It's a great Liberty and Chill has been great in my life. I owe Harry a job. <laughs> uh he he's like you know it's yeah it's a fun way to connect to like-minded people it's it's yeah. what we were talking about earlier humans need community and it's a great way to build community and uh i'm gonna get your email before you leave so we right. can get back to those people that have emailed us right putting yeah. you in charge of that okay you're now responsible <laughs> just so they can at least get an email from somebody uh and if you you uh want to get in touch editor at we are libertarians.com and get on that list for Liberty and Chill in your area, then uh, let me know. Yeah, we are also working on getting the, uh, air quotes, screening process uh, Mm -hmm. implemented so that we have uh, some idea of who you are, where you are. Yeah, we like if you're going to have an event that we're promoting in an area, you know, like let's say it's in Atlanta and it's Stone that wants to, in the Atlanta area, put together one. We love Stone. We know Stone. Go for it. Mm -hmm. But if you're some rando and unknown, you know, if you're Elvis Presley in Arkansas, Mm -hmm. I want to know, you know, literally there's a libertarian running for uh, office in Arkansas right now, Elvis D. Presley. That's awesome. (laughs) I have to, I wanted to ask Roger, I didn't get a chance to today, but uh, he's run for a bunch of offices. So, so yeah, we just want to get some idea and, and have a conversation with you just to like, hey, are you crazy? Uh, before we put you on our website and all that stuff, so yeah. we don't want anybody showing up for Liberty and Chill and getting murdered. Yeah, or doing or doing like, hey, let's do Liberty and Chill at the bar that I own. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a problem with supporting small business owners, but uh, all right, other thoughts, Paul? Uh, no, that's about all I have. All right, well, I'm excited to go to Washington D.C. If you're going, please. I haven't heard from anybody who's going, uh, but. I've got 2,000 uh, business cards and a sign and uh, my my all my road gear, you know, the Zoom H6 mm-hmm. donated yep. on the Amazon wish list two years ago, thanks to Christy Avery. So, uh, you know, people like Christy Avery, huge supporters of the show, Jason Doolittle, Craig DaCosta, Brandon Luke especially, uh, especially Jason and... Uh, Christy, over the years, have helped us get so much equipment, and uh, they're making this possible. Craig DaCosta donated to it. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you will if you two will just, like, talk for a second so I can pull up the Patreon, because I want to read off all the names. I mean, ha- hell, we're at three hours at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Go into four. Only the, only the patrons would yeah. be listening at this point anyway, so. The hardcore. <laughs> Right, so uh, so our twenty five dollar folks, uh, new one, 
Jacob Klingen Smith. Thank you so much. Eric Neff, Rick Irvine, Stone Aldridge, Brantley Spicer, Nick Economopoulos, Chad Oakage, Joey Turner, Carly Ernst, Brandon Kester, Christian Emmons, Dan Dunbar, Christopher Brokoff, and Todd Singer. Thank you guys for being $25 a month donors. Uh, subscribers, I mean, Joshua Sexton, or else the IRS will get me. Mm-hmm. Uh, $10 a month, Joshua Sexton, Albert. Oh, man, Albert, listen, you know I'm not good with names. I'm so sorry. Albert. Mark. <laughs> Come on. Look at, look at this. All That's right. why I have Paul. That's why listen, I have Paul. I'm sorry, Albert, but there's no way yeah, I'm. Yeah, use Paul. I'm, I'm, I'll butcher that. And, uh, <laughs> all those on low key well know I butcher names. Bro, send me an email and tell me how to say your last name. It's very Polish, and I'm so sorry. Albert Morkrakowicz? Maybe we should take you up to the uh, pierogi fest up in northern Indiana, meet some more Polish people. Yeah, my, my best girlfriend I ever dated, Anna Prisbiz. Persherbish. Yeah, yeah. Let's go uh, pierogi fest. Tom Hood? Tom Howd? Oh, I really need to learn the names of the people that make this possible. Uh, Tom Howd, AJ Velaza, Ray Wolf, Jordan Laycock, Lauren Moss. Mark English, Derek Lynn, oh, sorry, oops, John Brett, Logan Knoll, Chris Murray, Reinhold, the old son of a bitch, Joshua Laughlin, Samuel Alexander, Jeremy Franklin, Brian Kloss, Joe Benavidez, Benavidez, Eric Anderson, Sarah Potter, Eric Bartline, David Stovall, Jess Nixon, Justin Mitchell, Derek Michu, Mike Trant, Zach Felker, James Darling, Brian Travis, Chris Lane, Ryan Clancy, Ken Walker, Rebecca Cash, and David Anderson at ten dollars. Uh, the subscription, you guys, those those are the people in our community. The, if you want to join the Dear Leaders Court, then you sign up for ten bucks and you get access to the private Facebook group. So, mm-hmm. all right, guys, thanks so much for joining us on this episode, and we will see you from Washington D.C. the next time we talk. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.